I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. I'm Kevin. And I'm JP. And it's time for Video Games Hot Talk, episode number 254. JP, I'm glad that you were able to make it on the very last episode before the very last episode allowed in our 8-bit uh, episode addressing space. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> We just have to stop when this is over. Yeah. Right. We're going to yeah. start over at zero. Or you'll wrap yeah, around. You'll yeah, be yeah, overwriting, over. overwriting previous uh, I would be more than happy one. to do that. Oh, come <laughs> on. There's some, there's some beautiful episodes in the early days. Mom Hacker. Yeah, I remember trying to listen to those, and you can't get them on the RSS feed. Yeah, I'm embarrassed by them. Oh, Look, you can find them if you really want them. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in there. I was super, super racist back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <clears throat> now you're only like you did live in it's true yeah yeah that d- d- 2012 zach would have definitely uh, been on board with all of trump's plans for <laughs> for fixing arizona let's make oh, arizona great again it's a friend of ours let's make it the arizona of goldwater was saying that his dad is voting for trump and we were like why and he's like because he hates Muslims. Yep. And we were like, oh, okay. I guess that's, <laughs> that is actually the first well, rational does, like, well, reason for rational Trump quotation to be president. marks. It, well, it, I, it I mean. Follows. It, yeah, it, it follows. Yeah, it follows. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's just <laughs> Logical, the, maybe. That's just the depressing next stage of, you know, publicly acceptable racism. Oh, it's just yeah. like things being moved back into accessibility after a brief period of <laughs> right being socially unacceptable. Uh, good times. Yeah. I mean, really, he's just saying what everyone's thinking. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about you, but my thoughts are just a whirlwind of incoherent contradictions and racism. <laughs> just um, word salad just all yeah, the time. Just, just, mm. uh, yeah. Th- thanks, seriously, though, for joining us, JP, on what is certainly the last episode of Video Games Hot Talk. Uh, for a number of reasons. All right, we got to bury it then, huh? What have you been up to? What have you been up to lately? Uh, well, yeah, so I, lately, I have been working on an autobiographical Doom mod, which I announced on Tuesday, Autobiographical Architecture. It's going to be a free mod for Doom 2 using the GZ Doom engine, and yeah, you'll be able to play it later this year. And what's it going to be like for a player? What's a what's a player story? I don't. Uh, well, I mean, it's a narrative experience. You know, it's like it's a it's an it's a it's it's an explorable story of the, my it's life. The beginner, kind of. the beginner's guide, but in Doom. Uh, I mean, there are probably yeah, there's probably way worse A meets B descriptions of it than that. I, I guess. guess. Yeah. Dear Esther, but with, <laughs> in hell. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Esther, with less syphilis or more syphilis? I don't know you that well. No, no, no syphilis. Yeah. Okay. Um, but are the, the, you'll find you're using some features that the original Doom engine didn't have Correct. to to deliver yeah. some story that the original Doom also didn't have. Well, and just do some architectural things, you know, that don't. Uh, I mean, if you look at the trailer, like there's clearly some portal style portal things happening in it, you know. Um, it's just using some of the weird tech tricks and stuff to do. And even just also being able to, like, switch out different sky art. Like, that's a really humdrum hmm. sort of thing. But the original Doom can't do that. Did it Whereas, only just ever have one skybox? And it well, was, like one per episode? I yeah, think? one per episode. Exactly, yeah. Or one for each third of Doom 2. So, you know, whereas being able to limitation. jump to a different place and time yeah. and have different sky art, you know, like, that's, you know, for the cost of a tiny of a little sky texture, you're in a different place. So what were the skies like when you were young? <laughs> Well, I mean, I did kind of recreate some of those, like, using 
assets like sort of adapted from LucasArts games and stuff like in Texas specifically like I I think I'm probably there's probably going to be a little bit where I talk about the sky in Texas because it's so flat in well in the Dallas Fort Worth area where I grew up I've heard that at night it's big and bright (laughs) well that's yeah I mean I can I can imagine what kind of sky they were looking at when the nameless writer of that song uh, yeah but um, I have to assume he had a name well, I don't know. I mean, I, I maybe thought, it was written by uh, that horse that actually, Neil Young rode out there. <laughs> no, that, that's America, right? It was the, hor- the oh, the right? Yeah. The Why do I name? always think that's Neil Young? It's the horse yeah, is named I mean, America. He just didn't know it. It's it's musically adjacent in the seventies, you know. But, oh, uh, that's that horse that Paul Simon was going off to look for yeah. in that <laughs> other song. <Yeah. laughs> right. So, all right. Uh, no, I have no idea who wrote Deep in the Heart of Texas. I kind of assumed that it was one of those traditional arrangements that just came out of the 19th century, And but oh, I yeah. could be completely wrong. Maybe it's originally an exact... a drinking hall song or something. Could be, yeah, right. I'm sure it has an interesting history. In this version, perhaps Deep in the Heart of Texas, you will find the severed giant head of John Romero that you must destroy <laughs> in order to proceed <laughs> to the next chapter of your life. <laughs> You did have to kill John Romero before you were allowed to leave Texas, right? <laughs> I mean, I it, he would have been a short drive away, I guess. Oh, I thought you were going to say, "Well, I didn't have to; I just <laughs> wanted to." <laughs> well, I had just, some just, I had some friends like right out of uh, art school. I had some friends who worked at Ion Storm Dallas, so I actually visited the Ion Storm Dallas offices when I was like nineteen or so uh, to visit them at their jobs. What were they and working on at that? What's that? What were they working on at that point? They would have been working on uh, Dominion Storm over Gift 3. Whoa. The almost entirely forgotten uh, Todd Porter RTS game. Okay. Uh, And then uh, Daikatana and Anachronox. Okay. um, Which are both, you know, historic for for different reasons. Um, Are all those in the same building? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the one that they wrote about in Masters of Doom where they were on the top? They're in like the penthouse. They're in the penthouse suite of, of the a... Chase Commerce Texas. Uh, oh, right. Texas. They, they sort of unwisely spent a bunch of money on some really nice offices. Yeah, they basically they had super swank offices, and so yeah, I got to go here. I got to go there a few times and visit uh, visit my friends who were who were artists on uh, Anachronox, basically. And uh, yeah, those offices were wild. They had uh, very tall. You know, floor-to-ceiling glass windows, which was really bad yeah. for video game development, <laughs> and people ended up constructing these little like black felt tents around their cubicles, so, so that the glare the was not done. just like witheringly intense on their monitors. Jeez. So yeah, and and then you know, but the office itself was like slick. It had you know like this sort of platform for motion capture that I think they only used like a few times, and beneath that was like little deathmatch stations. Uh, so yeah, it is really weird to think back on that because, you know, like years and years later, like two years ago, I, you know, got to meet John Romero and play Doom with him, uh, as part of Double Fine's Devs Play series. So, you know, I kind of came to him at this very, at at a very different point in his life. What's that? Did you kill him in the game? Well, in in do you know, do you know about the, the, the the sort of secret? No, no, I mean like when you played against in Doom, did you kill? Oh yeah. <laughs> but yes, I do. Did you frag him, JP? For the devs play thing, we just played single player. We went through mm. Doom episode one. Mm. Um, but a couple of months before that, he was at GDC, and there were some deathmatch stations set up on Doom Two Map One, and so I did actually get to play him in deathmatch then. Uh, and yeah, and like I mean, 
what 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 Chris Journey told me coming in was if you can kill him once, you're good. Like, you know, just be happy if you've killed him once. And I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm no I'm no, you know, I'm no slouch when it comes to to doom, so let, let me see how far I can how far I can get with this. So sure enough, he definitely stomped me. I think it was like the final tally was like 20 frags to 10. Hmm. You know. So like good. I held my yeah, I yeah. held my own against a guy who <laughs> You know, is is maybe not the best Doom to Doom player in the world, but you know, is is up. The, you know, he's he he was really good. Um, he probably was in his prime. That that's true too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he hadn't. He, yeah, like he he was he was practiced, but yeah, I he it probably would have been more like eighteen to two if it was if it had been nineteen ninety six. So yeah. Anyway, so Zach. I had assumed that it was a coincidence, but did you actually just get JP on to ask him about this new thing he was working on because you were curious? Uh, no, I thought that JP would be an interesting person to talk to about No Man's Sky. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> it, it really was a coincidence. Oh, yeah, that, okay. this, happened, that this happened right after JP announced something. Yeah, because I think I said, yeah, I think I said, sure, I, I'd be happy to, like, before I announced, actually, so okay. Yeah. I mean, remember last time we were just talking about Playski. Right. Y'all didn't know what I was what I was planning. No, yeah. I don't know. Oh, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is Buzz marketing. Uh, you can you can leave me the check on the way out. This is all <laughs> part of my strategy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Y'all are key thinkfluencers, and um, oh, yeah. Ooh, think fluencers. Yeah. Key. All right, I'll leave <laughs> the room word. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what about you, Jim? Why did you want JP to be on the podcast this week? He's a cool guy to talk to about No Man's Sky. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. What have you been up to, Jim? Uh, you know, making video games. Played a bunch of No Man's Sky. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Most of <laughs> it, about huh? That li- yeah. Uh, yeah. No, like, my life has been, like, sleeping, and I think I got some Pokemon Go in there. Nice. Like actual not video game stuff I'm not sure I'm going to be able to help you out on this one Zach so this is going to be an episode where the time to video games is pretty short I guess we were already talking about video games as soon as I said what are you up to JP Mm, Yeah. what about you Kevin video games yeah me too (laughs) Riff have you done anything other than work or play video games for the last week Uh, I've been listening to the audio book of Seven Eves that's about it I've been doing it while playing Pokemon Go (laughs) Is that like a sequel to The House of Seven Gables? No. It's, uh, I mean, yes, and it's set in space. <laughs> okay. Is it just, uh, is the audiobook just the book of Genesis being read by seven different people simultaneously? Yeah, back, wow. backwards. No, it could have been, it didn't have to be backwards, Riff. You know, it's, it would be it's pretty pa- cacophonous. It's palindrome. Could be aliens. Though, is why. Oh really? I didn't know. I didn't realize that the book of Genesis uh, Genesis is an egg. Genesis and egg. Genesis and egg. Damn it! There you go. That should have been faster. Sulaplak. Uh, I guess I did write a program to uh, discover new palindromes. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, you got some good ones too. Well, good. Nice. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, um, and I, they can't be new, right? I, like I can't. Somebody has to have done this. Not necessarily. But it's a really like. I was I was sort of computationally limited by what I could do by the size of the AWS instance that it was running on. I should I should try running the bigger version of this like maybe on the database server. Or we should rent some supercomputer time. Oh wow, we could just rent some time on the on the Gibson. We, we can parallelize <laughs> it. You could Can ask I? you could ask uh, Deep Blue what the best palindrome is. I could. Hmm. 
There probably aren't any palindromes about chess because no words end with HC. We we live in San or you live in San Francisco. You probably have some friends who own one of those cray computers. There's also a couch. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I those saw one sweet the yeah. other day. I, I don't remember if I actually talked about this on the podcast. I went to the Computer History Museum down in Mountain View. That's a fun trip if you're a huge geek like us. Yeah. Did you have you been there? Yeah. It's cool. I I I would be hard pressed to recommend that somebody drive more than a couple hours to get to it because I was done with it in I would say two hours. I yeah, was I was not, sort of it's not huge, and it's also it's it's exhaust. You know that way that but museums are exhausting. It's more exhausting than most museums are because in order to really comprehend what you're looking at, you have to read everything. Like right. there is not right. a lot to just look at and think, oh, that's a cool statue of a beetle or whatever like you know you don't necessarily need to know that this was from the tomb of Ramses the third or whatever right you could just not read the card and still appreciate a cool beetle a lot of these things (laughs) would just be nothing like this is a prop from Battlestar Galactica if you don't read the actual story of what it is but uh, they're like a I learned that the 1890 US census uh, used punch cards extensively and these machines for automatically collating punch cards and a physical analog machine that would let them query the data from the census to see like how many farmers under 30 years old are married that was the specific example of the query that they gave it the way that this thing read the cards and this might be how all punch card readers worked in the beginning or at least in the 1800s, when you'd be really surprised if you were me to find out that punch cards were a thing at all. But there was like, you know, those things that you'll find at a Spencer's Gifts or on your right. uncle's coffee table in the 80s where there's Stick like a grid of face. pins and you can press oh, things into yeah. the back of it. There's a bunch of pins like that, but they're all connected to wires and they are lowered onto the punch card. And the ones that go through holes in the punch card f- land in little cups of mercury. <laughs> To complete a circuit and register that the hole is there in the punch card. That's amazing. It was really cool. Like, I, it was it was weird that, to me, the most interesting parts of the Computer History Museum were the parts of it with mechanical stuff from pre-1900. <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of mechanical yeah. stuff. Hmm. But, uh, I mean, I guess that's going to be the most surprising, right? I mean, the Babbage engines and things like that are just yeah. phenomenal to think that that's... That People conceived of digital logic using just analog machines of the day. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, they they almost seem more. Have you ever looked inside an accordion? No. It is fucking crazy in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, just just operating a bunch of bellows with like 148 keys or however many buttons are on oh, the right, side all of those it. buttons because right, the keyboard so, is actually relatively yeah, like, small but and the, each of those plays a chord like each of those plays right. you know, three to six notes on this thing and it's just a bunch of mechanical switches but like it looks like that part of nightmare on elm street where they go to the crazy rickety wood zone where freddy lives uh-huh. <laughs> in nightmares <laughs> where it's just like rickety wood platforms and stuff going as far as the eye can see in every direction. That's what it's like inside an accordion. It's like in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. It's way bigger on the inside. (laughs) Yeah. But that's what, like, a mechanical computer looks like, right? Like, it's just an insane... And even, like, later 
digital ones where all of the individual traces were like wires that were plugged into holes and then just mm. bundled yeah. up like into RAM boards for old, that, for you know first like generation even, supercomputers were just a whole horrifying mass of wires. Well, even like if you look at a modern day IC, it's going to be that except really small. Yeah, it's so small you can't see it, right? right. It just you, we've abstracted it down into a yeah. chip. Black boxes. It's like oh, I yeah. plug this in and then it makes yeah. my you know, it's like a Nintendo cartridge. That's right. why Cyberpunk kind of didn't actually become a thing is because we miniaturized away all of the sort of tactile, mm. visually interesting yeah. accoutrement of computing. You know, just everything miniaturized, continued to miniaturize at the rate that, you know, that cyberpunk didn't really care to anticipate aesthetically. And so it's like, okay, people aren't plugging themselves in with wires. They're just like everything's a tiny chip. People aren't using real keyboards anymore because everybody has learned to tolerate tapping on a fucking touchscreen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All that all that sort of like, you know, physicality and stuff just kind of went away because ultimately it was less convenient than I don't know. I realize that I have become a joke by continuing to use the keyboards that I use that are like actual full-size keyboards from the 90s. What do you mean? Like they just just feel good? Desktop PC keyboards? Yeah. Like Like, on your phone? Yeah. I hook one of those up (laughs) on my phone. I got a a PS2 to USB to lightning adapter. Uh Man, I would love to have that a lot of the time. I would like if I could look at my phone and type on my computer keyboard to send a text when I was at my desk. Absolutely. I would just absolutely do that. I'm I'm the same way. I have a mechanical backpack. Here's a I have a mechanical keyboard at home and yeah, like I, I, I wish that every text bit of text entry I did everywhere was, whether it's on yeah. my phone or laptop or whatever f- was as nice as oh, yeah. you know like in terms of spaciousness and tactile feedback as the mechanical keyboard at the desktop like that's um, yeah There's I don't a- even have a particularly loud one but it's still too loud I kind of get self-conscious when I'm working <laughs> hard about the typing noises there's a Kickstarter right now I think it's still going for like a docking a, a laptop you plug your Android phone into that oh, basically yeah. gives it a, a keyboard and desktop interface. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. A, that looked really good, except you'd be running Android apps. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's yeah. also still like a shitty laptop keyboard. I don't even yeah. like writing code on a laptop or even just like writing, writing like yeah. words on a laptop <laughs> With keyboard. A pen. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. I, I kind of tried to find <laughs> the best laptop keyboard I could, but it still was like sort of, you know, yeah, it, all other things being equal, I would vastly prefer to, yeah. I see most people using desktop machines with keyboards that are basically laptop keyboards, right? Like they're they're membrane keyboards. Yeah, and I'm always like, right, like the little Apple wireless keyboard like feels very much like a MacBook's keyboard. And it's like, ugh, no thanks. I mean, you know, I think other people like prefer the low travel distance. and I mean, those things aren't, you know, those things at least have a little bit of, they have a mechanical switch in them and stuff. So they're not the worst, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I actually looked into like I... This would have been like eight years ago or something. I researched like wearable computing before it was much of a thing at all because I was like, surely there is like a wearable keyboard. And this would be the nerd. To be clear, I was fully aware that this was the nerdiest thing possible. I was just curious as to if it existed. But just like a keyboard that like you could carry on your person. Mm. Um, Because actually, like the thing that put me on this trail was like, in the first Deus Ex, uh, the guy who's sort of like your radio helper character at the in the first part of the game, Alex Jacobson, he's like this kind of John Carmack sort of guy. Uh, 
just this little detail that his texture artist threw in is that his pants, like his leg texture has like this sort of futuristic looking like leg keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. A normal WASD keyboard is split across his left and right leg. Oh my God. They totally stole that from me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, me and my my friends in high school, at least we totally theorized taking one of those split keyboards and just sewing them to the, to your pants above your knees so that wherever you were sitting, (laughs) You just had a keyboard yeah, there yeah, in yeah. your lap. So somebody did actually, at the time that I was researching this, which again, I think would have been around 2008 or so, somebody had actually made this. They took oh, like so a pair of like cargo pants or something. Man, God, I just can't even imagine the sort of like social, you know, <laughs> awkwardness Impact. and condemnation you would get for venturing out with this in public. Yeah. But what they did, and but it was, you it was a cool make This will be less embarrassing for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, they took a waterproof keyboard, you know, like one of those like fully enclosed, like rubberized kind of mm. flexible keyboards. Um, and they cut it in half and then sort of like secured it. And then they installed that into this pair of pants. So it was like kind of a combo like electronics and sewing project. And so, yeah, it was like this sort of like baggy cargo pantsy sort of thing. But also it had a keyboard in it and it had a USB plug coming out of like the back pocket or something. <laughs> and then you could just oh, like type. a tail. Nice. Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, that part of it was cool, at least. I, I actually, you know, it's like, you know, more power to you. You know, if that had somehow become a consumer item, man, people would have like, yeah, the, the, the mockery and so forth that Google Glass and Segways and so forth got probably would have paled in comparison. Have you ever played with a Twiddler with a cording keyboard? Uh, no, I don't. So it's like a five key sort of dongle, like device that fits in your hand. And you, to get like various letters, you're pushing combinations of buttons. That's, I've seen one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that, that is a, like a way to have a portable keyboard that once you get good at it, you can type close to regular Once you get good at using a laptop keyboard, you can type it close to, right? But the, yeah, I don't know. I like, but you can't, not, not keyboards. You can't just use while you're walking around. That's true. That is true. And that's, that's the advantage of recording. Yeah. Oh yeah. And those things you could do one handed. You could have your phone on the other hand. Yes. Yeah. I I suspect a lot of this, like if that, if that, if this tech ever makes it out somewhere, it'll probably be after, after the dam has broken on AR. Uh, Mm. Like basically once we have AR displays where people, where you can just be walking down the street and then a non shitty version of you get a little overlay notification in the world of a text from a person that you're meeting like down the street, then like at that point, I mean, at that point, voice input might, you know, uh, might still be more preferable. I, I doubt it will have advanced significantly enough that it's like the clearly superior option, but I don't There's know. There's a, a short story called Rainbow's End by Werner Vinge, um, which posits a near future where uh, people have the contact lens displays and they have uh, the, the form of input that's popular among the kids is uh, it's called an ensemble coding. And it's basically using every muscle in your body as a form of, as like a, a, a oh, bit of input. Wow. Oh, wow. And so you actually work like over the, as you grow up, these kids would like come up with their their individual individual yeah like working with the machine to come up with an individual like a uh, uh, that's how that's actually that how it works the, for you that's how the brain works honestly like yeah. when when you're a baby there's just this huge neural like a bunch of neurons are connected to like your you know your index finger and you the reason that you're sort of like moving around as a baby is you're you're picking one pathway strengthening that one and then the other ones just sort of yeah. die off oh, and, and if you wow. I had read recently that like human babies are, are massively synesthetic. 
Yeah. Because of all the connections. They're, like, it starts out with everything connected to exactly. everything. Exactly. Okay, yeah. right. And they don't have any filters. Right. Yeah. So if, if you could, it's early amazing. enough. Yeah, I heard a baby say some seriously racist <laughs> shit the other day. <laughs> well, you know, my, my one-year-old turned to me and said, uh, I don't know, something woke. That's the Twitter meme <laughs> it's, yeah. today, right? Yeah. 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 There's if if, if, you, could, if you could, like, if, if, like, have babies learning how to just evoke invoke certain sort of neural pathways to mean letters right was yeah. that a response do you i don't know when that book was written but it seems like what i know about him is that maybe that was a response to like t9 or just like texting behavior it was like 2005 maybe i guess that's a little post like nine key texting oh but it was it was a short story first so maybe not maybe it was it was in response to yeah i don't yeah. know yeah, yeah. If it was if it was like any time in the back half of the '90s or something, it could very easily have been. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like, are the clunky, unusable interfaces of today going to become prevalent tomorrow because people habituate them from an early enough age? Right. right. Like if you have like a super weird interface, but like it, if it's the only game in town, or it's just like you know, it has a clearly superior convenience advantage. If kids grow up with that and they can like surmount that learning curve, whereas adults can't. I don't know. Does that? I don't know. That's a weird. That's a weird path for society. Right. Because at the point that every it. new kid like just gets handed that when they're two, and just learns it, and everybody yep. knows it, it's like I don't know. Yeah. Then adoption of anything new can, even can, gets better can, gets tricky. Yeah. Like, do can ergonomics change with us as a as a as a population as a population? I guess. I mean, I think if you look at the distance between like the Atari twenty six hundred joystick and the NES controller, and how significant elements of the NES controller are still on modern game controllers exactly the way that they were then. That's true, yeah. I think that kind of demonstrates that that was a product of a good evolution. Yeah. You get rid of the joystick and you just replace it with a four-directional D-pad. Right. Yeah, I mean, the 2600's joystick was also a pretty garbage joystick, you know? Yeah. It was cheap to make and it was pretty mushy. So it's really difficult to play, especially with modern hand muscles, an Atari game for any real totally, yeah, significant yeah. amount of time. Like you, can, you just so pro tip, you can plug a Genesis controller in to an Atari. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yeah, I use C64, Genesis, uh, Atari and all that all used the same pinout. Huh. So they would have only needed to use the right pin. The, the same that's pin. cool. I was it's just this, super weird. Just this April in a room where there were some spare Genesis controllers and some Atari games that I was frustrated trying to play. Shit. Oh, well, it's going to be a pro tip for next year's uh, Asteroids Tournament. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. There should be a rule about that. About Separate bracket for Genesis controller yeah. people. Yeah. I remember when hipsters. Uh, when I first moved to a city with real thrift stores in like 2000, I just bought a shitload of Ataris and Atari games because they cost nothing then. It was like right. before they had gotten kind of boutique cool. And I found joysticks from this Sears knockoff Atari system that was compatible with the 2600, but had much, much better joysticks. Um, it had like a nice, small, springy joystick in the center and a button hmm. on the side of it, so you were holding it and hitting the button with your thumb, and it was just a really nice joystick, and it made me way better at Atari games right. as a 25-year-old than I was as a 7-year-old. Um, but I don't know where those joysticks went. Before we move on, I guess we already have, uh, 
you're about the computer history museum. Like the the main thing that I the the thing that stuck in my mind most was seeing the uh, the devices that like people would operate as part of their job in like the 40s and 50s and they just had ashtrays built into them <laughs> yeah <laughs> like our airplanes oh yeah yeah um, that's yeah. weird there are right? certain activities that if you were doing them before 1970 or so it was assumed that you were chain smoking right well it's a, it's a concentration enhancer <sighs> boy those were the days yeah Someday, you know what? You know what? I really hope. What I was gonna say is, I hope that uh, that touchscreen controls don't become so normalized that they're the way that everything works. Because I think they're kind of garbage, and I really hope that we will get past that. Uh, what I also hope is that they will uh, invent a way for me to smoke cigarettes all the time and not get cancer from it. Yep. <laughs> you just need that anti-cancer DNA trait pills, like they have in Transmetropolitan. Hmm. Or that uh, that Woody Allen movie where, in the future, cigarettes aren't bad for you anymore, and there's robots everywhere that if you just flick your cigarette butt out into the air, it will burn it out of the sky. <laughs> you know, Star Trek probably also has you know cigarettes that give you all the fun but don't actually you know hurt you. They have that alcohol or well, whatever. Yeah, what was like, the deal with synthahol? Does it get you know. drunk? You just don't get hung over or sustain liver damage? Or does it not get you drunk? I would assume the former, but it, it cut, it's possible it varied across different, I don't know, a, a quick trip to Memory Alpha Wiki will clear that up. But <laughs> That's true. Or Wikipedia. Or, or maybe it doesn't, maybe it only gets you, it gets you heavily buzzed but not you know not so drunk you know. can't do your job if the you Klingons know, attack hmm. yeah. decent decently you know suburban America drunk but not you know so it lowers your inhibitions but not that much yeah, I don't even <laughs> it like makes you kind of racist but not super racist well it's Star Trek so you, you know they've, they've done away with the, that as well skip the drinking part and just dial in a blood alcohol level Mm. Or just dial in at like an inhibitions level. Oh, yeah. It's like, I, okay, I want to not be scared of this roller coaster, but not be not, so inhibited yeah. that I will have sex with someone who is obviously diseased. But you also want to be scared enough that the roller coaster is exciting. Mm. So you've got to calibrate You want to be scared thing. enough that the dangerous sex with a diseased partner is exciting, yeah. but not to the point where you'll go through with it. I was just going to say a regrettable <laughs> tattoo. Okay. Uh, they're not supposed to give you tattoos if you're drunk. So maybe synthahol has also had the properties of it that make tattoos all fucked up if you get it while you're drunk on it uh, removed. Do you have any regrettable tattoos? Do you have any tattoos at all, Jim? I do not. Do you, JP? I don't. Do you, Kevin? Nope. I know you don't. I don't. Riff has some tattoos. Riff, Just how does it feel to be the only person on this podcast with one tattoo from Sam and Max? I, I feel pretty cool. <laughs> coolest kid in the room that tattoo probably <laughs> helps you uh, do a thing that i cannot do room. which is remember which one is sam and which one is max <laughs> true yeah is max the rabbit yes yay good job <laughs> thanks riff's uh mnemonic tattoo <laughs> you guys play any video games nothing really new i went back to my uh playthrough of pokemon platinum i'm nearly done is that a new one? No, it's uh, fairly old. I think it's generation four, three, Out three of? or four, six or seven. 
Ooh. What, what what system is it for? Uh, it that was ZX Game Boy Advance. I want to say. Oh, okay. Okay. That's the what Pearl Pearl Diamond Platinum was the trilogy on that one. <laughs> Pokemon oh, Pearl, Pearl, Pearl and Pokemon Diamond Python. were the DS. I thought. Were they? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you might be right. In, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and they came out in it, 2007. Yeah. They were for the DS. That's right. It does have a second only... screen. Why didn't I? Why did I not even remember that? Okay. <laughs> All right, Jim. Game Jam game. Pokemon Emacs and Pokemon Vim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then what, uh, yeah, what's the know, third we... one though? What's the upgrade? Oh, is there a? Is no, that how it works? Plus, yeah. Plus. Oh yeah. Po- yeah. Pokemon. Pokemon text Sublime. Edit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Pokemon we were talking Pico. about like like what projects I would do if I had infinite time, and that would be like Pokemon Emacs and Vim would probably be like right on the queue after porting <laughs> Mario sixty four to the Commodore sixty four. Okay, <laughs> wow. Uh, Kevin, have you played anything new? I have. Uh, on your suggestion, I uh, played through Vanishing Realms. Oh, yeah, the VR game where you go kill in a skeleton. Yeah, Realm I killed a bunch questions. of skeletons. You sent me... <laughs> yes, it has some... Did you, did you discover any realms that I was not aware of? Uh, to... I was able to uh, sort of uh, wall jump my way on top of the... the topography and got to the edge of the map which was kind of neat. Did, are you sure you weren't just jumped up on top of the coffee table? <laughs> well, so that's that is kind of a an issue, right? Cuz like I was swinging those controllers around when they were like virtual swords for me and I hit the light fixtures several times yeah, to the point where I was worried a, that I was going to break them. There is an unfortunate hanging light fixture in the Vive area. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunate in that it continues to be the the recipient of very bad luck. Yeah, getting punched it, eventually by one of you dorks. guys is going to knock it down, and then the problem will be solved. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, your eyes are protected. It's not like you're going to get glass in your eyes. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. It's a good point. Yeah, it is just a big decorative worst. glass light fixture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but in Vanishing Realms, you're just you're just an adventurer, and you're you're fighting skeletons with swords and shields and arrows and fireballs. It's and you just can't stop doing QA. Like, you just really want to get outside the geometry. <laughs> of everything, yeah. Well, you should see how I walk to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it takes me so long to get to the office every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I played uh, Space Plan. Oh, yeah, I played that too. Oh, yeah, me too. It's like a little short I and sweet about that. sort of idle game. Uh it is it is a lot of fun. It has some of the sort of like discovery bits that like a candy box does, um, while never actually changing what you're doing. Exactly, which is a little disappointing. It reminds me a lot of Crank. Did yes. I tell you guys? It's did I show very, you guys Crank? I played, I played through Crank. about that, right? Is Crank that also has related to the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, basically you have to keep clicking or Jason Statham dies. <laughs> In real life, it's. <laughs> It's wow. weird. How did they that, get him to agree it's to that? It's weird that he likes heavy this. Yeah, it's uh, gallery show. He gets yeah. like most of the revenue from the Google ads, <laughs> so <laughs> which is only fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I played Rust Bucket uh, on iOS. That is the Aaron Steed, Aaron Steed uh, rogue like. Oh, it's yeah, that's really, right. It's not yeah. a rogue like. It's are they not procedurally generated no, levels? Those levels are designed. Oh, well. Yes. It's like a much prettier version of the game ending that is impossible to search for. Okay. Sure. <laughs> right. Turn-based, puzzly, sort of Sokoban style, but 
with way more interesting sort of personality yeah personality and theming um there's there's very few puzzles where you're actually pushing a box around it's mostly you're a you're a little knight and fighting monsters guys that kind of look like dark nuts did i tell you guys that i read the book the legends of localization the legend of zelda it was a book about the localization of the legend of zelda and all of the things that changed between mm. the Japanese and the American versions. We could just spend uh, the rest of the podcast talking about that, and, I, and I'd be happy. Uh, I'll just loan you the book. It's oh. it, the, uh, the In the foreword, it's like, I didn't think that there was enough to this to write a book about it, but everyone talked me into it. And at the end, I was like, man, <laughs> that would have been a real good blog entry <laughs> like I, and like there, then there was a follow-up blog entry about how you listen to the people who told you that maybe this wasn't an entire book's worth of stuff but it was really good i mean you know it was really good was this all explaining how dark nuts came to be called yes well okay. so they they talked about dark nut the name being changed from the original which was Tartnuck, which was T-A-R-T-N-U-C. <laughs> the theory being because Tartnuck backwards is cunt rat. <laughs> and what? <laughs> I, I don't know. What? I don't know what to think of that whole story other than I'm glad I know it. Um, yeah. It, wow. <clears throat> I always thought it was weird. I remember thinking that it was weird as a kid that these things were called dark nuts. Like, they're really I, difficult. Huh. It's such a playful name for a thing that was like a real... I always heard it as like just sort of a like a, a sort of fun, kidified corruption of dark night. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. what I always... Just, that like character, like character limitations. The squeezing, oh, that too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember any of the other stories from Legends of Localization because that one <laughs> looms so large. <laughs> well, damn. Have, have we talked about how the original name of Dark Souls was Dark Race? No. no. <laughs> what? That was another localization save? Yeah. Wow. Was it uh, like about the undead or was it about like getting I, I, I places think, fast I think it was in the, like that the night? People, people with the dark sign, I think, were the dark race, maybe. Mm, I see. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good localization save. I think that that was a good decision on their part. Yeah, that was, yeah. Good, <laughs> good D, that person. And then I Maybe they just forwarded the Wikipedia page for the United States of America. <laughs> just, yeah. You're going to want to be a little careful with... Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, just wait. They could have imported it after Trump is elected president, and then it would have been like, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> nope. I also played uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution. Oh, that game with no non-lethal takedowns. Right. I would like to thank the dozen people who sent in readers' mails, listeners' mails, that's what we have, about how uh, I was completely wrong about Human Revolution not having non-lethal takedowns. You're too, you, you hold down your keys too long, apparently. Do I? That's, that's your issue. Yeah. I just lay on them all the time. Yep. <laughs> that's why all of the emails that you get from me are just e. <laughs> Yep. It's because I'm trying to kill you. I didn't realize that just by typing a single E, I could knock you out without killing you. Uh, I've been enjoying it, like, a lot. I, I I love that, you know, that whole genre of game. I'm surprised that you hadn't played it before now. I, you know, I... It's just a backlog thing. Yeah. I've just gotten way more games than I have time to play. Uh, but everybody talking about the new game, and we talked about it last, last week, and I was like, you know what? 
I should give that a spin. Um, it does make me want to play it again now that I know that you don't have to kill anybody. <laughs> I love that, like, so much... Uh, well, not so much, but th- if if you're spending time actually reading all of the, like, emails and stuff that you find on computers, a lot of people are talking about how they just moved into their apartment because they have to narratively justify why there are just dozens of giant cardboard boxes everywhere in the world. <laughs> like, that's their, like, cr- abundant crate thing. That's a, that's a classic... You know, that's a classic move. Yeah. I, Do, I, they could have done, like, a, a nanites thing where, like, oh, the self-replicating cardboard boxes have started to spring. <laughs> oh, right. This was, like a, this was, like, a prank that some yeah. terrorist hacker organization played. The the like, oh, we goo. turned all of the... Yeah. yeah. Page, we turned everybody's that's cats really into cardboard boxes. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be great. Then you get an og that would turn cardboard boxes back into cats. It's Ooh. kind of... Hmm. Hmm. Is the so, cat alive or dead, though, after it's been a cardboard box? Oh, I don't know. What happens if... That's, and that's the difference between the Joker and the Riddler. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, we were talking about Adam West Batman just before, and I don't know. Oh, it's, that's true, because we were talking about the spread of kid memes and how that worked, hmm. and because uh, we were talking about the spread of pirated software on floppies in the 90s and how that worked. We really need to start recording dinner... Yeah. And I just proposed, how did Jingle Bell's Batman Smells spread? Because everybody right. knew it, no matter where they were. Yeah, you just ended up hearing that. And, uh, right, how did that meme propagate pre-internet without mass media? Did you guys have, mine eyes have seen the glory of the burning of the school? Yep. It wasn't, I knew of it, but it wasn't, broken like, every popular. Rule. Yeah. I heard that one. I can't remember. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's vaguely familiar. I think I actually heard that from my mom. <laughs> so like, yeah. So maybe it just maybe it does just come down to a, a couple of parental indiscretions. Uh, yeah, you know? I think there's a lot of parental uh, meme spreading happening here. Yeah, yeah. I remember finding out a lot of things from Mad Magazine. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. learning a lot of these things in writing. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. I don't remember ever meeting a single other person who read Mad Magazine when I was a kid, but obviously, I mean, they sold them at the store, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So other people must have, but why didn't I meet a community of Mad Magazine readers? I always thought of like, oh, well, this is clearly a magazine for people who are dead, <laughs> because all of these, <laughs> like, this is all... Like, all of these could be from the 60s right. if they weren't referencing movies that just came out. And, yeah. Like, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Gee, they're really sticking I, it to the Spiro Agnew guy. Yeah, <laughs> and I, like, I feel like I knew that even in the 80s that... Yeah. Everything was outdated and yeah. old. Yeah. That made me think of, uh, like... So I, I remember seeing some film footage from around the turn of the 20th century. So like very early film footage, you know, of like 1900, 1901 or something. Um, and it was like in New York or something. And it was just like a scene of the street. There were people like just like like women carrying loads of laundry and stuff and like kids running around. And there were two kids that were like school kids uh, and they were playing the little like hand slap reaction game thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and hmm. that kind of blew my mind because it's like these kids, you know, were like, you know, have almost certainly grown old and passed on. But they're playing this little like hand slap kid that I learned as a kid in little, you know, as a little kid in schoolyards, like in the 80s, I guess, uh, 
which is like kind of rem- so like how did things like that propagate i guess like well, i mean every generation easy. thinks they invented sex too you know <laughs> <laughs> every generation thinks they invented uh punching someone on the arm if you trick them into looking through a hole that you've made out of your thumb and index finger um <laughs> Did you guys have that? Yeah. No. We had Slug Bug. Slug Bug, too. There's Slug Bug where you hit someone whenever you see a VW bug. Yes. Because that one can't have existed in 1900. Well, no. (laughs) I should should hope not. Uh, Well, Slug Buggies. Yeah, Slug Model A. (laughs) Well, and I've I've also heard Slug Bug called Punch Buggy in different parts of the country. That's true. So it's almost like soda versus pop versus... You know, regional variations. Have you seen people who will kiss their fingers and then touch the roof of their car when they drive through a yellow light? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. wow. I My vaguely remember keeps... that. Yeah. I've seen that for people when people see one eyed cars. That's like right. Car with That's one what headlight I'm thinking of. That's the version out. I know. Mm. Yeah. So, like, when yeah, so clearly. Wallflower song. <laughs> there's some, like, genetic drift with these. Uh, yeah. With, with these. With these memes, you guys didn't have the if you could trick somebody into looking at your hand when you were when you were doing this, then you get to punch them on the arm when no, you were yeah, making yeah, the, you I were sort of making that. the okay, yeah. but you, yeah, riff riff had that. We yeah. we had this thing where you would like clasp your hands just so, and then get someone else to do that, and then you'd stick your hands together. Oh yeah, and that would kind of look like a sort vagina. Sort of looks like what you imagine a vagina might be like. See, that gave me very incorrect impressions about what. Well, you already had to Vaginas have them for like. it to be interesting. Yeah. So, to be fair, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely a pre-having seen a vagina or a picture of a vagina. Yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah, meme. yeah. It was a total mystery to me, and so I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> My I mean, it's kind of an intimate like, thing. It, it requires both people to be using both of their oh, hands. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's a very... <laughs> just to interact with each other. I mean, that's... that's There's only a few a interactions that are like that, It's really, kind of sweet. You know? It's a, it's an <laughs> intimate connection with I the guess other a patty person. cake. Like, and, a, uh, like a two-way double titty twister. Yeah, the hand-slapping yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just made me wonder, like, okay... in Tokyo. Who... Okay. Who invented the hands... Like, when was the... Okay, so if we can... If we have documented evidence of the hand slapping game going back to like 1900 when did it actually like because i mean it requires no technology whatsoever so like does it take a thousand years what's that no technology other than cruelty when do you think we developed that (laughs) well it's like a little game of you know you take turns so it's it's kind of a game of skill with an element of with a with a dash of cruelty i I read recently that the high five was invented in the late 70s i read that too yeah which is mind-blowing if true i mean i you know apparently like the low five is from the 20s what? <laughs> so it's someone. So it took. It took fifty years. My Some Moore's having, law of <laughs> of of hand yeah. clapping gestures. Yeah. Give me some skin, which was like five, but you didn't immediately withdraw. You like slid your hands together as you mm. took them apart. So that I mean, that feels like it would have happened after the high and low five, right? I don't know. Yeah, I guess it would have been. Uh, would have to have been after the low five. I, somebody that I dated in college, her brother had a thing where they would just like karate chop at each other to try to get their hands as close together as possible. And if they barely touched just enough to make a sound, then the gesture had been like maximally successful. Well, that might've just been a very localized thing. Yeah. Yeah. It never, it never spread. It was a. 
It's like how you get points in a shmup for almost getting hit by a bullet. Oh yeah, yeah the danger like bonus. grinding grinding yeah. the wall. I love that mechanic. You, yeah, yeah. What do you what do you call that? There's a isn't there a word for that verb? I, I mean, I always call it edging, but I think that's a sex thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Docking. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's transporting felching. terminologies across <laughs> I, I mean I, domains of human I'm experience is, is keep calling it edging. <laughs> Yeah, no, it seems I'm going to play Ikaruga and, and practice my edging. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Just at the same time. There's yeah, yeah, a couple of people that will pay to watch you do that, I guess. It's a co-op uh, game. Yeah. But no, yeah, I love I love the danger bonus mechanic. I want to add that to a to a Doom-style shooter someday. Oh, yeah. To your autobiography. Like, what if no. you get too close to the dark secrets of your life? <laughs> You'll get bonus points. For... <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Are you revealing any embarrassing moments in this autobiographical? Probably not. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of aware of like how much I'm curating. You know, I mean, just the act of like turning everything that happens to you into a story. Like you are kind of like deciding even just how to explain it, if not also what to explain. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I want it to be real, you know, so maybe some of it will embarrass me. Maybe I'll write something or implement something and be like, oh, that's... That's embarrassing. That's oh god, I can't do that. But you don't want to. You don't specifically want to like, as a way of diminishing their power over you, dive into the things that you think of when you're lying in bed sometimes, and just suddenly just are overcome oh, just like, with like a full body wince about something that like, you like said this, to somebody thirty years ago. Sure, yeah, yeah, like the super confessionals kind of the style yeah. of autobio. Yeah, which like yeah, like a couple of friends and and exes and stuff uh, in in from art school like you know, have done autobio comics, you know, cause like there was that whole like nineties, two thousands, like, you know, independent comics resurgence and like autobio comics were a real thing where you would talk about like, just the, like just sad and weird and gross parts about your relationships and your life and all that sort of stuff. So it's definitely like, you know, and that was kind of my, that was sort of my first exposure to a lot of autobio art and for a while, I was kind of down on it, you know, because I was like, this seems like it's just empty catharsis kind of, you know, where you're just sort of like, you know, it's what other people get when they go into a confession booth or something. Right. Then, but this like, doesn't mean anything to anyone else. Yeah. You're just sort of. And it should be obvious to you that this doesn't mean anything to anyone else. Like, yeah. But like, I mean, so I think briefly, like I did sort of hold a, a low view of it. But um, I mean, I think I think any kind of like autobio is probably you know, part exorcism, part like trying to sort of reclaim and validate your feelings of whatever you were going through and stuff like that. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I So from what I've seen of your thing, it, it feels a lot more like a mood piece than about any specific details. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to embarrass with just mood. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's and that the amount of specificity that I'm using in it is kind of an important factor because if it's completely nonspecific, then I think it loses a lot of its texture and yeah. interest. Um, but if it's too, but if it's too grounded in just my own experiences, like oh yeah, there was this one specific, you know, song I would listen to, and man, I really love it or whatever. It's like yeah, that's probably also sort of like you know, overly specific or something in a way that isn't, you know, just very interesting as a narrative even to myself necessarily so i don't know yeah it's weird i'm you know i'm still getting into it i'm developing a, a sense for like what's what's interesting to put into this kind of work because it also has to like live in a 3d environment you know and so thinking about how that works is uh 
you know, is interesting. So, have you played any video games other than the one that you're making? Yeah. Um, let's see. I was kind of doing like semi-related to slash as research for that thing. I was playing a few older FPSs. Like I, I had never gone through Marathon. Oh, nice. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't own a Mac back in the day. Um, and then also I, I ran across a nice modern source port for the first two Descent games. Hmm. And so I was playing So I was playing Descent with modern WASD mouse plus Pi Resolution and all that. Hmm. Um, just because, like, and Descent I did absolutely play back in the day and kind of just wanted to revisit <clears> it. Um, but, yeah, Marathon. And also just I had heard I, – I, I knew – very little about Marathon, but I knew that it had text terminals everywhere, mm-hmm. and the story was delivered almost, you know, basically entirely embedded within these little bits of text. And I kind of wanted to see what they were doing with that. And I had always heard people rave about Marathon's story and stuff. So, yeah. What uh, is how many points out of ten would you give it? Oh, Marathon. <laughs> yeah. Um, marathon one, I feel like, does not hold up well at no. all. Mar- like, marathon two was a lot better. Yeah, like it's Marathon one's level design, like. It does have some nice atmosphere. Like it has the combination of like soundtrack and being entirely on a dark, cramped kind of alien feeling, alien Ridley Scott alien mm. spaceship. So I think I think it it has pretty good atmosphere stacked up next to Doom or System Shock One. But in terms of just like the level design and stuff, they were just like it was bad. They were leaning really hard on very janky platforming type mechanics. Mm. And just weird stuff. Marathon 2 does get better. Um, and then, yeah, like I started playing Descent some more. So, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Are you excited about the System Shock remake? Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems cool. Like, uh, remakes don't usually get my, get, get, get my interest up a lot. But it seems like it was. It seems like the footage that I saw of the Shock One remake was very faithful. Like they really stuck to. It looks like it's almost like they exported the Geo for the old levels <laughs> and then just built a whole bunch of really fancy looking art on top of it. It's that kind of level of you know fidelity to the. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'll, I, I'm I'm curious. I'll I'll, I'll have a look. I'm excited um, because I actually want to play that game, and, and I you just don't want to never with... ever will in the original engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, Same with Ultima Underworld. Like that is a game yes. that I would really like to yeah. know what it is like. But yeah. man, can I not handle the controls? Totally. And... Well, what I would really like, uh, and there's been a few unsuccessful projects to do this, is somebody. I, I really want there to be uh, the source code. I believe for the Ultima Underworld slash System Shock One engine has been lost. Oh, are it they might... the same engine? Uh, yes, yeah. Oh. Ultima Underworld 1 and 2 and System Shock 1 both used this kind of uh, sort of like Wolfenstein++ kind of engine. I mean, it had no code in common with that, obviously. But, um, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, like, uh, that engine has kind of the source code for that engine. I mean, if it still exists, it's like on a floppy disk, possibly in Mark, Bl- Mark LeBlanc's attic or something. But uh, it's probably been lost. And I really want there to be uh, like an open source re-implementation of that just because I feel like those games do deserve to be preserved in the way that Doom has been preserved. By you G, know. by GZ. Like, you want there to be the GZ Doom yeah, for that engine. Totally, yeah. Where it's, like, faithful, but also, like, you have full mouse look and modern 
OS and resolution support and all that kind of stuff. Just because, like, I'm sure that would definitely not remove all of the jank from those old games. You know, they would still be sort of, you know, weird to play. But I feel like they would certainly be a lot more playable. I mean, there's a mouse look mod for System Shock 1 where people, like, kind of hacked in, like, okay, you can use the mouse to look around. You no longer have to, like, hit the other arrow keys or just whatever to do the weird looking around stuff. So I think that gets it kind of like partway there because it all because System Shock 1 for DOS did support like 640 by 480. But um, I just think like a modern engine, you know, that would like, you know, because I, I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. That's that's the sort of weird little project that I go on GitHub looking for and digging digging around for. And a few people have tried, but like because the source code is missing, there's, it's just kind of like, yep, if you want to make these games work, you basically have to reverse engineer 100% of what the code and data formats were doing and then just re-implement it in C++ or, you know, Are those data Lua formats or whatever you're doing. presumably less reverse engineerable than like the wad from no the data formats have have actually been completely figured out there was there for a long time like 10 plus years ago there was something on on sourceforge called the system shock hack project where they basically reverse engineered 100 percent of the data formats i believe Hmm. um so yeah you can like extract the graphics and stuff like that um and read the map files and the string files and all that kind of stuff so yeah that stuff that part of it is understood it's more like the code like yeah how does the how does how does that engine's physics code work i'll bet it's a whole bunch of arcane weird stuff that uh some programmer at looking glass might remember from you know 25 years ago so i don't know but yeah what about uh, Descent? Describe. So I played Descent when it came out for two minutes. Was like, nope, this is not for me. <laughs> what is the gameplay of Descent like? You're flying a spaceship through 3D space. Yeah. Is it mostly just combat or are you? Yeah, it's mostly like, I mean, the the levels are, yeah, like it's, it's the levels are Doom style in that they are, you know, 3D spaces that have kind of interesting wrinkles to them and are kind of trying to push the engine, the the weird engine that they have in various ways. But then the actual navigation, obviously you're not like a human player running around in that. You're a little spaceship and you can fly up, down, left, right, backwards or forwards, as well as rotate about all of those axes. So like, and then they, and they, that was the entire technical pitch for that game. And it was also like kind of a you know the marketing pitch at the time because that was considered a very fancy and awesome thing to be able to do. In was it true game. 3D or was it? Like I mean, fake? it was true 3D. Yeah, it was true 3D in the sense that, like, yes, it really did render like fully 3D levels. Uh, the actual levels themselves are actually a whole bunch of. Um, they're sort of made out of tiles, kind of. You can just stack them in arbitrary ways, a la Minecraft. But all of the tiles have to be convex. So, you know, you can build anything you want out of tiles that are like that, you know. And so you could make, like, fairly complex rooms and stuff, but within reason, you know, like, a, you know, a, a 486 or whatever could only render a certain number of those tiles. So that kind of dictated the... So it was a, it was a somewhat different set of constraints from Doom, say, or even Quake later, you know. Um, just really unique and weird. And then the fact that it was also like this very different player control paradigm where they were trying to mess with you in terms of like you fly into a room and now it's a shaft and you just kind of have to ascend that shaft and there's different stuff you can poke into along the way. So I was playing it partly because um, the sort of experience of space is really different in that game. Um, And I wanted to see like how well the level design held up and what they were doing with it and 
you know, if they were if they were doing anything interesting. And also just like, yeah, like I remember it being pretty fun back in the day. Uh, the combat does not hold up super well just because like you're always in very tight quarters. You don't often have a lot of room to dodge and it doesn't have like that kind of doom you know, sort of smoothness and tight game feel. Um, I mean, it, it, it controls pretty well for a DOS game, but... Uh, Is there anything to do other than fight? I mean, you're basically exploring and fighting, you know? Like, there's there's a red key, a yellow key, and a, and a blue key, and uh, each level has, like, a boss reactor that you have to, that you have to destroy, and then there's, like, a, a Metroid-style escape countdown that you have to get out, so you have to escape from each level in a mm. hurry, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, every... Every level in the game is exactly that format, so you know. What what control scheme were you, were you using? Like a keyboard to play this game, or back in the day, I think I would have just been using like a numpad plus a few keys on the left hand side. Yeah. Whereas now I'm using WASD plus spacebar and X to go up and down respectively, and then Q and E to roll left and right. Yeah, and then a mouse to look up and down and left is, and right, is, is which works pretty well. Six degrees. What's that? Does that cover all six degrees? That does cover all six degrees. Yeah, yeah I, I remember yeah. playing. Just it, it super awkward uh, playing this game in like 1996 with a QWERTY keyboard and just like yes, learning all the like just just getting a the muscle memory for all the different ways you can rotate. Yep. And I remember hearing about people playing this game with a like a. I, I guess you might call it like a 3D mouse almost. Yes, uh, the Cyberman or whatever. I forget. That might have been one of the weird VR headsets that it supported. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Wheelie yeah. Cyberman, the lead singer of Optimus Rhyme? <laughs> uh, not that, think, not the Doctor Who Power monster. Man 5000. Oh, Rob Zombie's brother, <laughs> Spider Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the controller, I remember seeing it looked, just looked like a sphere on a stick and you oh. could... Oh, was it a space yeah. orb? It might have been. The space orb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember Birdman's lair? <laughs> so if you would go to Blue's News, man, I, I just, <laughs> I just, I always drag us back to the 90s here. Just uh, the name Blue's News makes me laugh uncontrollably. Yeah, for, for a long time in the late 90s, you would go to Blue's News and read the latest updates about, you know, Quake 2's development or whatever. And uh, there would always be like kind of a miscellaneous links section. And there would always be a link to Birdman's Lair, which was a site that some guy whose handle was Birdman uh, was a, it was the leading internet resource for people who used the Space Orb 3D controller. And basically, like, he would come up with like patches and configs for a whole bunch of different games. So it's like, okay, Jedi Knight came out. Let's add Space Orb support. Wait, so this was Where will game? you go to download what, what Space this? Orb support for Jedi Knight? You will go to Birdman's Lair. What, was this originally intended for, like, 3D artists? I have no idea. I think it was just a wacky game controller. How I think, okay. so I think they were just like, well, now that Descent and Quake are out, okay. people, like games are full 3D, so you need the ability to navigate in all three dimensions simultaneously. That's just a thing that, yeah. that people are going to want to do. It's really interesting, like, the sort of yeah, technological so, progress narrative and how that spilled into, like, game design. And how you like no video games, huh? What if your anymore? arm was really tired all the time <laughs> <laughs> well, that you were playing them? This is, the Space Orb is actually, like, if, if it's what I'm thinking of... It was actually really neat in that it was just like a a sphere that you could tug on and rotate, and it would just have it would know. That's all anybody wants, right? Right. <laughs> uh, you could push it in any Give me on a sphere any to tug on and a to, place uh, to stand, and I'll move the world. That's what. <laughs> uh, you could push it in any axis, and you can rotate it in any axis. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I'm and pretty sure that's the space orb. I've never seen one or used one. Right. I just know about Birdman Slayer. Right, right. It was just, just an intuitive way to end, like, I, I'm, I'm trying to think now, are there any uh, Descent? Actually, Descent is a pretty long-running series. There might be, like, a an Xbox, original Xbox port of a Descent game. Possibly, yeah. Oh, man, and then, like, a pinout for hooking your space orb up to your Xbox. Yeah. Possibly, well, I, I yeah. I was thinking, yeah. like, is there yeah. a good controller mapping for the gamepad to... Uh, a descent like control, like oh, a yeah. descent like ship. I mean, like a, you could just get it onto a six axis, right? Like if you got it onto the PS3. Oh, yeah. Just like walk around the room to move your yeah, ship. You could just, <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you could glue your six axis to the inside of a softball uh-huh. and then use the softball <laughs> as a space orb. Ideal. And then you can play some Descent 1 yeah. multiplayer. Ah, uh, you get such sick frame rate. You'll have a ridiculous advantage over your. Yeah. Of your mouse and keyboard. Use an NES advantage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, like, uh, yeah, th- there were there was genuinely, like, this weird wave of experimentation in the 90s. Uh, yeah, along with the f- failed first wave of VR headsets. I only played one game other than the assignment. Oh, thanks, man. Was it Space Plan? Uh, oh, no, I played two games other than the assignment. <laughs> one of them was Space Plan, which everyone should just play. Uh, yeah, it's a clicker, but it like takes a couple of even if you're not like trying too hard, it takes a couple of days to finish. It has an ending, and it's worth seeing. I, I thought you were going to say a couple of hours, and that felt well more reasonable to if me. If you're not if trying, you, though, you could just let it sit if you, there. Yeah, okay, I get. Yeah, if if you let it sit there at much earlier points, or if you didn't check in on it as often, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, I played a game that somebody just tweeted at. VG Hot Dog uh, to ask if any of us had played an iOS game called Reigns, R-E-I-G-N-S. It was a couple bucks. I've heard it's like... uh, It's like Tinder. Tinder Yeah, it's... RPGs. It is... It is a... Like a... I don't know... Political simulator a la like Hammurabi. Right? Hmm. The classic 70s microcomputer basic game Hammurabi where you're yeah, you're managing yeah. a kingdom except that the only thing that you ever do is an advisor or an enemy or somebody will pop up as a portrait and say something to you and you either like swipe right to say yes to whatever they're doing or swipe left to say no to whatever they're doing sort of like that um early major bueno game where you're caesar and you're just giving the thumbs oh, up yeah. or the thumb down to yeah, that's but, right. except way more abstract than that and way more developed out and you're you will you have four meters at the top kind of like sims style there is one that is how how strong the church is one that is like how happy your populace is there's one that's how strong your army is and there is one that is how much money you have in the treasury and the thing that i think is pretty clever about this is if any of those meters get all the way empty you will be removed from power for one reason or another sure if any of them get all the way full you will be removed from power for one reason or another Um, oh because of the power people perceive a power imbalance and somebody moves to yeah, so hmm. like if the people are so if like the people get Tony too Hawk. happy, they like form a democracy and you're not the you don't get to be the king anymore. If the church hmm. gets too big, they they exile you and take over. If the army gets too big, they overthrow you. If you get too much money, you throw a big party and eat too much and die. <laughs> um, if you lose money, you get your kingdom becomes an oligarchy. Uh because the government doesn't have any money anymore and merchants take over. Hmm. I forget what the other things are. If the church gets too... I don't remember what happens to you if the church gets too weak. Um, Nothing. But, 
you get these weird you're playing a succession of people like the game just keeps on going in a single save slot sort of and you are uh, you just become the next king and you reign for a certain amount of time until you get killed or or kicked off the throne for some reason and then it just moves on to the next person you can like if you start a crusade the country will still be having a crusade when the next king comes into power. Like there are different things that you can do that change the scope mm. of things. There's a bunch of checklists about like, oh, you've seen this many of out of this many people. You've like, there are some little goals that are just kind of about story beats happening to you. Something I was thinking about it a lot in relation to No Man's Sky. I am guessing that the simulation that is running behind this Reigns game is four orders of magnitude simpler than the simulation that's running behind No Man's Sky, but the seams in it are less visible because <laughs> the fidelity with which you're interacting with it sure, and yeah. the things that it's deciding to show you are so Well, and the granularity abstracted. of the choices yeah. you're making. Like it's, when you have such a simple choice interface... You can get away with, you know, like that 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 makes your design job so much easier, you know. You get the sort of imagination playground of a choose your own adventure book as opposed to the like right, yeah. I wonder what's over there. I'll walk over there and see that it's nothing, which you just wouldn't have been given the option if yeah. it were a choose your own adventure. Um It's a neat game. It's definitely like worth a couple bucks. Like I keep going back to it and I keep playing it and I keep seeing new things. When I do, and it's like just a very charming. Hammurabi is worth talking about. That game is probably like fifty lines of basic. Yep. Yeah. And right. And it, yeah, it, it's really a kind of an amazing magic trick in how well it fools you into into seeing like economic patterns in the like the grain stores or whatever it's giving you. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. <clears throat> I. Uh, absolutely love computer games of that vintage not necessarily because they are fun to play but because they make me nostalgic for my childhood and learning to program by buying books of those and typing the source code in did you see the photo i took of a book uh from the book stimulating simulations i tweeted this like two days ago i might have what Um, did it say what what was it it was a a snippet of a playthrough of Devil Dungeon <laughs> which is a, another like 75 line of basic code game um, and on the left hand side of the page there's like a, a readout of a playthrough and it's just oh right and then the drawing of the map that the player had made yeah yeah, it was, it was I was did printed see that. in the book um, and I was enthralled by this and it took me a while to realize why and I, th- I think it's because of the um the juxtaposition of like such a, like a, a narrow pinhole of what the player sees in the of the game um, on the left, and the uh, the richness of the map that results on the right. Hmm. Uh, the idea that like your what your actual interface to the game is this really simple, um, just a text readout with just just some numbers basically, um, but this translates. In, in your head and through like what the what you piece together of the puzzle into this like rich visual layout the, those books of game programs like that were there was so much space in them taken up by transcripts of gameplay which was 
neat because it would give you an idea of like if you weren't savvy enough to like understand what the game was going to do if you did type it in you could look at it and think oh that looks fun I guess I'll spend the time typing this in or I'll have my mom do it yeah Um, although my mom did not really have the willingness to do a ton of that for me after the first couple times so so. right right it was very unforgiving it's a weird kind of typing that's good it's good at giving you the muscle memory for typing basic programs sure (laughs) um yeah man those books I need to bring my collection out here from Arizona because that's those are things I flip through pretty frequently when I have them on a shelf. Yeah, near well, me. Like I linked to, I, I, I was actually looking at the physical book, but I linked to the uh, the archive.org page for stimulating simulations, and you know it's all there, but it's like paging through a PDF isn't quite the it's same. It's not the thing. same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have for so long wanted an iPad that had a retina display and was eight and a half by 11 mm-hmm. so that you could realistically like read PDFs of like old RPG source books or yeah. books like reading PDFs. PDF is the most miserable fucking format <laughs> really ever devised. And like it's good for one thing and that's printing out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reading a PDF on a screen is garbage universally and that makes me really sad that so many things are archived does the p and pdf, PDF. stand for printing uh portable it's uh, portable document format okay. oh maybe yeah. it's print, print maybe it's print, supposed to be printable, printable. Yeah. i thought it was post like, script oh wow <laughs> but not portable is in sent sendable to an lpt parallel port right <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was it in case you want to dot matrix print this copy of the dungeon master's guide that would be boy. Do I nigh, un- <laughs> nigh illegible? I want to rip off the little uh, yeah the, the sides with the holes in them that I forget what we call the perforated yeah printer paper. Yep. <laughs> oh, tractor feed stuff. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Okay, yes. I thought you were talking about in the oh, Dungeon yeah, Master's those. Guide, and I was like, my like, Dungeon I'm Master's Guide didn't have those. Yeah, I'm gonna thing. print. I'm gonna print uh, the D- the Dungeon Master's Guide out on green bar paper uh. Uh, because I'm printing it out at mom's work. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, so I think I'm coming up on the end of Pokemon Go for me. Oh yeah. You've I, reached the end. Well, po- Pokemon win. You beat it at the center of this planet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just like it, it's. It's getting. I mean, this is it was event. It was it was always going to happen. Like the, the I have enough of the Pokemon that finding more is taking long enough that it doesn't feel as rewarding. Hmm. Um, and I think. I can see the the end in sight is when I hit a hundred in the Pokedex because that's you know nice round number, good stopping po- point. <laughs> powers of ten, yeah. I'm up to um, one twenty two. Oh shit! <clears throat> okay, so if I if I get a lot more hardcore, I could get up into the hundred and twenties. I wonder how many people are not going to buy the next World of Warcraft expansion because their characters are now level one hundred. Huh. Wow, yeah. And walking away at level 100 seems... Uh, they should have capped it at 99 instead. Ooh, and then the, this expansion is just one more level? <laughs> or, or, or 110, so you just... Because if it was just one more level, then they would stop at this one. Mm. I'm going to let you finish, but I do want to say, <laughs> anyone, anyone who is like me and plays WoW only when a new expansion comes out for a couple of months and then puts it away again until a new expansion comes out, it is absolutely worth re-upping now and poking your head back in to see the stuff that they're doing in preparation for yeah. the expansion. Yeah. Before the expansion it's, comes yeah. out. Yeah. It's, they, they always do this. They have like a 
this is month or this is significantly more more elaborate mm. and more accessible than it has been. I meant in, to do it this weekend, this past weekend, but I I ended up spending Sunday uh, editing uh, let's play footage instead. But well, how how long is it around for? Uh, I don't remember when the expansion comes out. Actually, I think it might be like the thirtieth or something. Yeah, it's, this month. yeah, it's the end of this month. Um, I don't know if I just did enough of these things that I got another section of the quest unlocked, or if something new became available in the previous patch. But I, when I played yesterday, it I just suddenly like this big void servant thing started following me around everywhere with a quest, and it was like, oh hey, Cadgar sent me to tell you that he wants you to come help him break into Karazhan to find this book. Is like, this one of those? Things oh man, that's you- pretty sick. Or if you never accept the quest, he'll just follow you forever? I don't know. I, probably not. It will probably stop when this event ends. Oh. But it's neat. You get to go into one of the old, like, Titan ruins and talk to some old computers, and oh, then they send nice. you back into Karazhan to find a cool book. Ah. And it's all just like it's all just like a single-player raid, sort of. Like, it just, like, clearly is just instancing you into these places. Talk to old computers? Yeah. The, the lore of World of Warcraft involves... The entirety of creation having been built by a very technically advanced civilization of titans. Uh, and so you definitely go into – you go inside a lot of computers in Endgame Like raids. actual computers. In okay. the, yeah, they're very computery. Like there's – like with robots inside them and a lot Whoa, of like no kidding. screens okay. up. Yeah. Right, like so, they, so they pull an Ultima 3 Exodus? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or like the Might and Magic where like this <laughs> fantasy world is actually just a simulation inside a sci-fi world. Yeah. Or I, like, yeah, it's – I always sort of respect the boldness of that of that move, you know. Yeah, even if, like even if it can easily be a, a recipe for just narrative meltdown. It's. I mean, it's always accompanied by this kind of obnoxious Indiana Jones stand-in character, <laughs> who's like the brother of the King of Ironforge, who it's become a statue made of diamond, but then he comes back to life and can <laughs> talk to God. Which is a computer. It <laughs> it's pretty sick. I love how you drill all words, the way down. It, you know, well, and it's, yeah, they really are not afraid to. <laughs> like, they will just keep the, explaining the shit. Didn't know as long quit. as people continue to pay like, a monthly subscription. Okay, people like <laughs> keep people love the lore. They just want more of it. Yeah. Can you make more lore? Lore team. Okay, w- well, we hate our jobs, so we're we're just going to make up the most asinine hilarious stuff uh god's a computer it's uh, it's neat though when like I a, an I, I have no context, raid so takes can... you into like all right well this is this is just like ancient like planetarium so you just walk into this big room and fight a boss and then when you fight a boss that was the password so now this room is a giant 3d holographic display of the entire universe right. and here's you know like they're not using that to plug in to like a connect a universe like a a a meta universe that connects Starcraft here's, and yeah, here's the planet where Overwatch, Overwatch is happening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, because that would yeah, like I mean, Heroes of the Storm. Is I would have kind to be restrained, that, right? From like doing Heroes that. of the Storm is yeah, their yeah. dark tower of all of their previous right, or their works. Like pulling, yeah, of, uh, yeah, yeah. There does, you go. Does yeah. any of the lore explain why you could play Peggle while you were riding a map <laughs> on the fast travel system? You didn't buy like a gnomish Peggle, Peggle is independently arrived at by every civilization. That makes sense. That's parallel of evolution. Yeah, like the gin and tonic. Everybody, mm, there's there, there's always a lighthouse. There's always a version of Peggle. 
Uh, okay, sorry, Pokemon Go. No, oh, I mean, that was done. Play World of Warcraft. If you yeah. if you are going to play World of Warcraft when this expansion comes out, just start playing now because there's some cool shit that you won't be able to do after that, and it's worth seeing. It's worth 10 bucks to see if you were going to subscribe next month. Hey, do you guys want to talk about No Man's Sky? Sure. Yeah, let's yes, do it. please. Do we want to bother saying everything that every other video games podcast is saying about how disappointing No Man's Sky is like on a I mean, I on a moment-to-moment gameplay level. I didn't well, I, know anything about it going into it, so I, I didn't really have anything to be disappointed in. It I, I feel like it's yeah it's Minecraft, but instead of building it has spaceships and I'm not as interested in a flight sim as I am in building a thing. So it kind of falls down there PC for me. But controls. I'm playing I was playing on a PC. I find this space, like moving around in space, so nightmarishly clumsy mm. and unpleasant that I just don't want to do it at all. Like anytime you're flying around in the ship? Yeah. Like what, what are we talking about here? So my experience of trying to point at something in space is, okay, I'm trying to move trying to move, trying to move, nothing is happening, nothing is happening, nothing is happening, I'm spinning out of control, is this kind like of in a the direction that I was... strategy game where, like, you put your mouse at the edge of the screen to scroll in There's that direction? There's no mouse cursor, right? Okay, so, so that, but the mouse I, is It invisible. does seem to be saving up mouse movement. Uh-huh. Hmm. Oh, jeez. And then unleashing it at a certain point, even though there isn't a cursor. Huh. Have oh, you played that's, Freelancer? That's yeah. I thought Freelancer did a really good job of taking, like, the elite... You know, flight stick kind of mo- uh, model and giving it mouse controls. So I guess it's too bad they didn't rip that off instead. I think a lot of what's happening is it's correcting for what it thinks you're trying to do with a controller, oh, right? So shit. it's the, it's the moving around equivalent of like auto aim, which I very much appreciate sometimes. Like trying to dock with a space station, I really like that I can kind of just fly towards the hole and it will guide me in. Yeah, that has that tractor beam. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no problems there. Yeah. But oh, I, man. but I want to fly along the surface of a planet, pointed at the fucking planet, and it just but, won't yeah. let you that, dip. Yeah, that's yeah. just the thing. I won't let you do. It just won't let you dip the nose yeah. of your like, ship nope, below no the horizon. Visible, you can never like, crash. There's an invisible barrier that prevents you yeah. from getting yeah. too close. I, I remember picking up Elite. You know, this was in the mid '90s, so it was well after Elite was a thing. Um, and trying to play it, and the first thing it asked me to do was to dock with the space station. Yeah, and it's like and it's impossible. You have to match the rotation speed. It, yep. Yeah, it, it is. Comp- yeah, it has the Newtonian flight model. Yeah, it's which ridiculous. Is, which is a choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it's like the Top Gun for the NES. Um, I, yeah, I could never do anything that in that either. I, I think this game does a really good job at um, putting you in an enormous space and making you feel it. Mm-hmm. I wish there was anything there, you know, know, like, what do you, what did you want? So where I think the game falls down in its procedural generation of an entire galaxy of planets is insisting that it be possible to escape from every planet in your spaceship, no matter how little you have in the way of resources when you land there. So every every planet has to have some carbon, has mm-hmm. to have some plutonium, mm-hmm. has to have some iron on it. And because of that, 
every planet is exactly the same. Yeah, with just yeah, a different I, color palette. I w- see, I yeah, like I, I would have, I, I would say, like I wasn't, I was happy, I was fine with what was there. Uh, I feel like the dist- the completely even homogenous distribution of it was what was really hurting it for me mm. because it's like, yeah. And, and, and that was driven by the homogeneity is driven by their decision that the player should never, ever get stranded. Yeah. Um, and just that, like you should always, no matter where you are, you can bootstrap up to being back in space, flying around fully fueled up and everything relatively easily. Um, I think if they had decided that, that it was okay for you to be on, like, fairly barren, sparse worlds and that there was, like, kind of a get-out-of-jail-free-just-call-a-tow-truck, you know. Yeah. Like, like, if yeah. you run out of fuel in Star Control 2, the Melnorme will come and sell you some fuel yep, at exactly, exorbitant yeah. prices yeah, yeah. enough to let you get back. Yep, or same you with Starflight, yeah. And, restore and you can, from a save. And you, you can know? go into, yeah, you can reload a save, and, or you can, and I think those 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 games will even let you go into negative money. You can go into debt uh, paying for fuel for a rescue, and then you just, like, have to work it back. You know, you can, like... So I feel like that actually, like, given everything else about the design decisions that they made in the game, that would have actually been... Because what that would have allowed them to do is just have... You get into a system... And some of the worlds are going to be kind of more barren. And then you give the player some very easy means to sort of detect, like, yeah, there's only, like, two or three points of interest on this planet that my scanner picks up. That's fine. If I go down to a random spot, I see desolation. There's no creatures. There's no plants. There's a few mineral deposits here and there. And then this planet can just kind of be barren because, like... Again, like, yeah, the, the sense of distribution. Because now when I land on a planet that is, like, teeming with, like, life and ruins and outposts and minerals, like, it doesn't feel special at all. Whereas mm. in the all those old games that, you know, like, I... Yeah, I like in Star Control 2, if you landed on a planet with animals on it, you were like, whoa, this is unusual. Yeah, yeah. You were like, oh, this is like, a special one. I, I might, found I might, something here. I might jot this down on my notebook or something yeah. because, you know, um, and I and I feel like so it's not and it's not just about like the difficulty of like, oh, yeah, you better you better be careful because you might get stranded on this planet if you don't make wise use of your resources. It's more just like even if this game was just like, you know, even if I was just playing this game in tourism mode, I want to see like basically more dynamic range because there's a whole bunch of people on the internet right now right now taking the game to task for something it never ever tried to be you know um and and then like the the sort of more reasonable crits that i've seen reside within well they could have like done this they could have made a few different de- a few they could have made some decisions differently within the resources and sort of scope and overall design focus and aesthetic that they had you know um and I think I don't know, like yeah, they were, I think they were a little too scared of really hard player failure situations. Uh, and then at the same time, I, I have to mention this just because like everybody that I've seen stream the game as well as myself uh, ran into is like it has a really brutal first like five ten minutes experience. Mm, yeah, they you you get out of your ship and they tell you mine for you know you very clearly get the impression like mine for resources that's how you that's how you craft stuff that's how you get your ship working and then you know bootstrap bootstrap um but then as soon as you start trying to do that these sentinels that have very like poor feedback like the sentinels don't actually want you to mine and i've i've watched like four or five people plus myself mm-hmm. at this point just completely fail that bit of training so i think it's not just 
me and those people. What I think it is a genuine, like, massive do training failure you on the part of the game. What's that? Do they attack you or? Yeah, if you start, if you if you pull out your mining laser and you start just lasering away at a plant or a rock to get iron and carbon, which are like the two most fundamental things you need, then sentinels will take notice of you. And it's basically like a star system in GTA, only they don't explain it as such. And it doesn't use in a nice, a nice affordant metaphor like GTA does. But basically like harvesting resources from the world in view of one of the sentinels gets you one star and that is enough for them to start attacking you and then if you fight back against them you get two stars and if you continue killing them but you don't polish them off completely another wave shows up and a, a, a freaking big dog shows up on the ground and shoots you with a laser so like and all of this can very easily happen in the in a new player's first 10 minutes of the game and it's like oh my gosh guys like that is like you know I, I am definitely not about slavish, you know, like sand off all the rough edges accessibility, but that is just a massive failure case that keeps people from getting to the interesting stuff yeah. in your game. Like, yeah, I was I was astonished that they shipped that. I never and understood I, even eight or nine hours in, like every once in a while those things would just attack me and it never seemed to correspond to anything that I did. <laughs> and it, maybe it was just because I wasn't paying attention to where they were and like I was just supposed to be avoiding them. Well, th th that's the other thing is that they don't they don't have the presence in the world that like, uh, that even like a police car in GTA, you know? Because right. I mean, it's not like cops are driving around with their sirens blaring constantly. Yeah, yeah. You're you liable just... not to notice these guys are around until they get mad at you. Yeah, you just, yeah. Whereas in, in GTA and I'm trying to think of like e even just like... Um, I don't know, like a lot of open world games have solved this problem completely, even if they're not using like something as obvious as cops in police cars, you know, like, but they're just like, these are the things that will get pissed off and kill you if you do a certain thing. So be, you know, and like, yeah, yeah like, whereas the Sentinels, like just their idling, like I'm looking for you is like this just sort of like generic machiney type noise. It actually sounds like a noise that one of the descent robots makes, but it's like so subtle and as you're doing the thing that pisses them off, there's not like this kind of klaxon feedback or something. And like, so you just, yeah, people just don't learn. You know, I, I, I only like studied them carefully after I was sick of getting like attacked for the first 30 <laughs> minutes of the game. I, um, I didn't have that experience. And I think it might be luck of the draw with starting planet. Oh, so you can start, I think you can start on a planet with hostile sentinels. Yeah, well, there are some planets where, like, the Sentinels will get pissed off that you're even there. Yes. No, totally, yeah. And, like, I, I, I've I, never seen anybody spawn on a planet where the Sentinels... Like, there are some planets where Sentinels are attack. always hostile, and they'll, they'll attack on sight. I've never seen anybody start on one of those planets. And I think that I... You know, I'm assuming that they just buy that. That's an easy thing to bias. Sure, but I mean, they do always like there are always sentinels right around your sh your crashed ship when you first start the game. So they're clearly trying to like get you into contact with the yeah. sentinels. I mean, it was how but I like, first learned how the death mechanic works. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, everybody that I saw like died once, like yeah. right outside their ship. Yep. Um, I, d I died the first time that I died on a planet's surface was like also the literal last second that I played of this game before just putting it away and like I was so close to just delete local content <laughs> after this I went into a cave and I was like ah oh, part of this cave goes underwater I'll see what's in here and I'm like this is idiotic there's fucking nothing in here you know there's nothing in here you know there is no guarantee that this goes anywhere but I swam into it anyway and then just like got lost and drowned like deep, deep beneath the surface of this planet, and the grave marker is just there. Like, well, there's all my shit. Mm. Like, 
I had just spent a shitload of time on this planet like this. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to save up for a bigger ship. Like, that's a goal. I'm going to actually try to find all the animals on this planet. And I had gotten, you know, four of nine or something. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. Now let's see what's in this cave. Maybe there are some monsters that only exist in a cave. But, like, that's not a thing, I don't think. And just there's no way that I'm ever going to find where all that stuff is. Like, most of the Atlas stones that I had collected from playing through the story part are just in my inventory. Oh, God, right. And they're at the bottom of that And they're at the bottom of this cave that even if I can find my way into it, I can't get back out. Like, ugh. For For them to just, like, ruin the world by making it so you can't fuck up too bad. At the video game parts of this. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. and to just, to just like wreck the exploration parts of it at the no, expense totally, of the yeah. video game parts, and then to do that shit with the video game parts. <laughs> like, that is like some EverQuest 1 level <laughs> shit, except there are no higher level players that will I, help I feel like, like if I was a modder just trying to fix this game, I mean, there's a lot of things you could do, but just like building in some relatively inelegant like escape hatches to be like, I ran out of everything. And I'm just stranded in the middle of frickin' space. So let me pay fifty thousand, and I'll let my uh, let me pay an exorbitant price, and I'll just let my money go into negatives if I don't have that much, and then I'll work it off or whatever. Right, I, like, like teleport me to a space station and give me like a shitty ship that all it can do is land on a planet. Yeah, like, yeah, and even just like teleport my coffin back to me for an exorbitant price or something. You yeah, know? like because if you had something in there that was like irreplaceable, like the Atlas stones or something, you know, like, I don't know. I like, that's a really, that's a kludgy, but kind of works. Like that would, that would prevent some people from putting down the game forever. You know? Um, I don't know. Like, cause I feel like I, I would prefer a universe that is actually a little more like unevenly distributed and thus more kind of dangerous and desolate in places in exchange. But if you had those like sort of escape protocols then that would be fine actually you know like you would you would because because then things would kind of have more consequence you know you'd be like oh man i really screwed up getting to the bottom of this cave i I don't know i mean if you could know from space what kind of stuff was on a planet which i think there is some metadata about planets that you can get yeah and you can hit your scanner and like you know it'll it'll, it'll, it'll occasionally pick up on stuff interest on a planet right yeah but every planet has the exact same nine points of interest evenly distributed across the entire infinite surface yeah of the planet you know like yeah i found one of the things that made me like really not trust the system's design is finding an alien that was just like standing next to a balcony at one of the spaceport style buildings and it cost 20 carbon to talk to him for some reason that is not adequately explained (laughs) one third of the time he goes into a mode where if you ask him for resources he will give you 62 carbon (laughs) Two-thirds of the time, he will go and... No, one-third of the time, he will go into a mode where he will teach you a new word in his language. And one-third of the time, he will go into a thing where he can either restore your health, which is always useless. He can restore your shield, which is always also useless. useless. Yep. Or yep. give you something else that I don't remember what it is. Yeah. And so the right thing to do was to just keep going through the fucking menus until I knew the entire language. Because yes. it yep. was... It was a self-sustaining level of resources and cost, but it was just waiting for the UI yep. was the cost yep. of engaging with that 
why why would you make that? My partner did exactly that basically. Like they 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 apprehended that like, oh, yeah, you can learn you can learn the language and that is the actual sort of unique depletable content that you can do here. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And just grind and like, just grinded carbon until they had enough to be able to talk to the alien and learn all of the language, uh, which also doesn't have a super clear reward. Like what when you once you know like a hundred something words in an alien's language, what can you do with that? Like how does that because it doesn't improve your faction standing with them? Well there are there are puzzles in the game where you the solution to the puzzle you can it depends on you understanding what the alien is saying to you. Or the or the uh, monolith. Or the monolith, yeah. yeah. Well I've seen the mo- I mean I've I've been I've seen the monoliths and I've 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 been to the space stations, like what Yeah, I've never seen anything other than like Interactions with an alien where you get some options that always have a positive reward or monoliths always have one option, exactly one option, which is teach me one word. There are definitely situations. Yeah, I've run into monoliths that give you a new blueprint. Mm. Um, You you often get like... um, Trinkets and stuff from monoliths. Yeah, and and I've run into outposts where like... Yeah, like aliens will speak alien to me and then they'll give me stuff. And I had no idea how much my, the the stuff that they gave me was due to how much of their language that I knew, what my faction standing with them was, what my current resource or just overall progression level was. Like it was it was very opaque in a way that didn't actually get me asking interesting questions. Um yeah, and that's it's, another. I mean, that's another. Like, so I think, like a more broad, you know, th- that more generally is also kind of like a design failing of the game. Is that like, there's a whole bunch. Of, there's like, there, well, there's stuff to do in the in the universe, but it doesn't sort of like get you moving in another direction. You're never like, oh, cool, I did this thing, so now I can go. You know, I don't know. I mean, it is yeah, not a world it's, it's, that sustains you doing anything on purpose. Is yeah part of the. What do you mean? Do, what do you mean by that? So, I mean, I guess you can decide, okay, I want, and this is what everybody is talking about doing, I want to upgrade the inventory on my exosuit. So I'm just going to fly along the planet's surface until I see one of those orange light beacons. Right. I'm going to give it a, give it a, I'm going to figure out how to clear out a fucking inventory slot to build a fucking bypass chip instead right. of just, you know, spending the resources that it would cost to build a bypass chip to interact with this thing. Yeah. I'm going to ask it for a shelter. I'm going to hope that shelter is a drop pod. So that I can go to the drop pod and get an exosuit inventory space yeah. upgrade. Yep. Right. So that's a thing that you can do on purpose very, very slowly. But it's like you can't go – you can't decide that you want to go to a particular place to find something that you heard about because there isn't anything anywhere. Everything is the same. No location means anything. Yeah. Like the trade goods, as an example, like in Starflight – Two, which was the one, which was the one that added trade goods. You you knew that you could go to certain parts of the galaxy to get certain trade goods, and you ended up like right. having these trade routes. Yeah. yeah, you know where you would be trade, like, I'm would, gonna, you, would you describe them as trade routes of the cloud, cloud of the cloud nebula? Yeah. Yes, uh, <laughs> right. And so you'd be like, okay, I'm going to swing by the Dweenal and pick up a muso balls, and then I'm going to fly down to like the south part of the nebula because these one weirdos on like a medieval technology world will buy the, will give me all of their money for the amuso balls. And then I can buy this other thing from them. And so I can basically just keep multiplying my profit and like that, you know, I don't know. I feel like that was a working model that required actually very little 
content or design work really like you can kind of like design that on paper and then it turned like turn the iteration crank a few times and then you've basically got it um but it required a world it required a world to exist that wasn't just random right well, like it, it required would, it, it, it enough enough random basically could have been world. random it could yeah. have just been like okay you're on a new planet trade wars draw from the loot table that's like fine. You know, trade well but it was wars. but it was persistent in a way that it doesn't matter that no man's sky is persistent because you are never going to go back to somewhere that right you've been. that's right. true there's no reason would. ever not to go towards the middle of the galaxy well but you would if if these kinds of trade routes existed. That's right, that's right. what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. like sure. if there was and some the, reason to go like, from place to place, you would do that. Thing. The 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 galaxy warp map is pointless, incomprehensible. It's it's meaningless. Yeah, yeah. Like there's not. It should not be a map. It should just be a list. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, or like a one D branching kind of exactly, you know, or, or at least give you thing, some yeah. some more information about the planets that are in the stars that you're looking yeah, at right. so you can make it right. people make choices yeah it's possible mm-hmm. that the, like the fourth and fifth views of it would be interesting or whatever because i only ever got to the third view of the the guy oh, like huh. i never even Wait, saw the yeah, third i don't even know what that means what's the well so the first one is just giving you the route to the galactic center the second one is just can you can go wherever but that's kind of useless oh i see the third one is some sort of atlas yeah, the oh, something that you unlock yeah. eventually. Yeah, I mean the Atlas thing is calling you to go. I I basically stopped right before getting to the Atlas shrine or whatever. Because huh. I have just been following the path to the different Atlas things. What are they called? I don't know. Atlas Nexus. The you'll go to a system yeah. and there'll just be like one shitty planet, and that, then that giant is the third view. Then Rhombus. Okay, the but it's not really a view. It's There's just the five circles up top and it's the middle yeah, those one. are just like different waypoint paths yeah. basically yeah uh, yeah so when i when i mean view is whatever. not like it changes the okay yeah that but that's all i've been doing for whatever reason that's just what i thought the map was like i've never seen the thing where it's indicating towards galactic center that's how it starts is it yeah that's, that's I all you can do found something early on that started me down the path of oh. the atlas like Maybe there are you get to these anomalies, these space anomalies where there are like a couple scientists. It's like they've built kind of a Dyson sphere around some weird point in space. Yeah, and there is a couple time of you go there. I think it's the same two guys. It's the same two guys that, with the same name. Yeah. Is it like, a Gek and a rainbow suited Daft Punk yeah. person? Yeah. OK. And yeah. The Gek right. is always named Polo. Polo. Yeah. 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 OK. Uh, so that's so that's I mean, that's interesting because, yeah, that's actually like authored, you know. Yeah. But the polo will always like be really nice and be like impressed with how smart you are. And yep, the that's geck right. will is that a geck or is that a v- the little the little reptile people are the are the geck? Okay, and then the the other the the, uh, the Daft Punk yeah Corvax 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 yeah. I was that guy will when always I found like out the intelligent alien races weren't also generated. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's like this person has a computer head. This other person yeah. has a shoe head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just etc. Yeah. The um, that guy will always give you what seems like a. It's like you're being offered a choice between three big rewards, and it's like, well, I'll tell you the the location of the next Atlas interface. I'm like, yeah. it automatically tells me the location of the next Atlas interface every time I go to one. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, yeah. Like, or I'll give you some this fucking element with a minus one inventory space enchantment on it. <laughs> like, I, I I googled. Do I need to keep these fucking atlas stones? What the fuck is this? They're like, yep, you need ten of them. Like, 
<sighs> and if you sold one, uh, then <laughs> you are up shit creek if you do not uh, have – if unless you can buy it back from the very occasionally appearing merchant for like $2 million. So I, so I lost I three mean, so in that, that fucking that's an, cave. And, like that's an that that would be an ine- that's an Ill- inelegant escape hatch, but at least it's there. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, are there only ten Atlas interfaces? Surely not, right? I'm assuming like you, no. I'm you, assuming that you can grind eventually, and it's like, yeah, you got to. Okay, cool. You you'll just get it much later than I, other people. Is the is the doling out of the Atlas passes that unlock doors for you? Is that a thing that just happens automatically? Where do you get them? I've never got. I them. got the crafting recipe here. for an Atlas pass yeah. at one of those little Dyson Sphere outposts where, like, Polo or the or the the screen face. I got person. one. I got it at just a completely random outpost on a completely random planet. From was it the was it the crafting recipe for it or just it was the, the craft? Yeah, it was the crafting recipe for okay. it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are they consumed just like the bypass? No, things? you just have it in inventory and it lets you. So then what that and does. Another inventory slot. Every time, yeah, takes up an inventory slot. But every time you go to a space station, you can get a plus one inventory to your exosuit. Just in every wow. space station, Whoa. if you go to the other door, yes, they're like yeah. you land, yep. and there's the door on the right yeah. that leads to the same room every fucking time. Yeah, and then the door on the left, if you have an Atlas Pass V1, takes you into a thing where you can buy plus one inventory space. Jeez, that yeah. seems great. Uh, yeah, they get increasingly more expensive. So there's just a tremendous amount of variety of experience, though, and that is that is kind of cool, right? Because we all had very different playthroughs, it sounds like. And is Do you, is is it not worth, yeah. the, like, the player story? I did not. Right? Like, I, I would not have believed that variety based on listening to everybody else that I've heard talk about. Yeah, I mean, like, like every d- story I've heard on every other define variety because like the same story. Is it it does sound like yeah, we were all kind of engaging with the same systems, like, and like, we just missed various obscured things in different proportions. Sure. Yeah, but, and like I never died. I found a, a giant cave system that I wandered around in for an hour. Did uh, find anything? Nothing. No, because there's nothing in there. Once I found a cave that had, it was just full of the Corvax convergence cubes. Just like the floor was littered with them. Huh. I found a Weird. planet with those. Did Sentinels show up when you tried to everywhere. grab them? Yeah, sent- Sentinels were. Sentinels didn't give a shit about these ones. Because huh. oh, okay. were in a cave. I just, I I've never seen up, a Sentinel in a cave. Right? I filled up my inventory like three times with this and sold them all and bought a really good ship. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, that yeah. Was, that I, was a neat find. I got into a cave where there were a whole bunch of uh, little pods that you would tap on them and they would open and show the like forget what it's called like a per- like Some something pearl. pearl. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. And uh, and so I was like, okay, cool. This is like a rare resource. It's in this cave. It took took a little bit of doing to get here. And as soon as you grab one, uh, Sentinel show up out of nowhere. And I was like, okay, I understand. This is a game design. This is a trade-off that's being offered to me. I can, like, get good at fighting or running away in exchange for for getting these pearls. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a high-cost run, but I I realize what you're you're offering me here. Um, But, I mean, you know, like, the difference between that and just the fancy cubes lying on the ground is some but not that much, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it all depends on how you define difference. And as far as like player story goes, I mean, yeah, like if this game if they if if this game ends up being moddable to the extent that it allows a tourism mode, I will absolutely play it like that and just like tool around because I do want to just like have my own weird little story of like not having to worry about inventory. Right. Like I'm just uh, yeah. Um, and I just, then I wish yeah. there were fifty times as many human created environments yeah, hidden yeah. in various spots on the planets. Like I wish it wasn't the same like dozen 
outposts yeah. Yeah. over and over yeah. and over again. A dozen was about okay for me in the like five hours that I played. I think I would start to get tired of it. The planet seemed variable enough. I guess that's the thing. I played for five hours. I, I did not get... I was getting a little tired of the sameness, but I kept finding new enough things that it was intriguing to me, but then maybe I was just lucky and then just didn't run out of things. Yeah, man, I don't I, know. I've, been, I've just been really... I've been really enjoying the variation in the landscape and the variation in the fauna, and that's been enough for me. Like, I really have been playing it much like I've just tooling around looking at stuff. Oh, totally, yeah. I, I, was, I was very much doing that as well. It's just, this is the frustrating thing for me, is that um, I, I wanted to just be a tourist and just check out what, what all, let's take this procedural, let's take, the, let's take their planet gen for a spin and just see what all it can come up with. But every time I would get to a planet, I was sort of immediately saddled with like these inventory and resource concerns. Right. And that just got into like all this burdensome stuff that actually put me way more into contact with the repeating, with the constantly repeating content than if I had just been able to be like, okay, I'm not very excited by this planet, so I'm just going to lift off and head on to the next one. You know, yeah, having to because then I probably would have seen a lot more of the variation. Gas tank every four times you take off in the ship, whether you're just like going over here to find a new thing yeah. to look at on the planet or going into space is just. Mm. So this is is pretty. Fills that tank really fast, it's and it's super easy to get. It's tedious. It is tedious. Sure. You know, yeah. another thing that, that kills it for me is like as soon as you uh, get off, as soon as you get off the ship, the very first when you're first starting off the game, you walk over to a plant or a rock or whatever, and the prompt that comes up is destroy. Um, <laughs> now, and yeah, people have commented about that. Like they're sort of like, oh well, that that's weird. Why would you not? You know, and uh, someone. Uh, a couple of people on Twitter were like, well, it's actually kind of good that they don't euphemize destroy because A, that clues you in that maybe somebody doesn't want you doing this, i.e. the Sentinels. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also just that you are like unambiguously kind of like stripping resources, you know, and you need to think of it like that. Um, The problem that I had with it was, was not, uh, so I, I I buy that, that argument. So it's like, yes, put that prompt up there. But what it does is that it just kind of instantly gets the player before the player has even really appreciated their first like cool alien landscape. It gets the player thinking in terms of the monetary value of everything that they see. Because ultimately, like, all the different elements and all that sort of stuff is worth some form of money. Even and ultimately, the, the money animals, is what just, lets you afford like these big ticket upgrades that are sort of things. the backbone of the game. I think and taking I, pictures of the animals is by far the least, like, rapacious thing that the game is yeah. putting in front of you and yeah, forcing and I you that to a do lot. if you want to move around. Right. Yeah, like, you want to keep moving. You're like, okay, I don't see any new animals within this, so I'm gonna like hike or get back in my ship or whatever. Yeah, so like, I think it is a, I think it is actually like, objectively, like there's the subjective like my taste as a player of video games and as a designer and stuff. I think that's a terrible thing to do to your video game is to instantly put a price tag on everything. You're because you're basically creating, you're instilling a value system, and you're telling everybody what it means. And the, the the entire value of this game, as exhibited in the trailers and stuff, and again, not holding them to right. things that they did in the trailers, but like, you know, they they the the trailer pitch is appreciate this world for its own merits. Look at that cool undersea creature. Look at this cool dinosaur. Look at this awesome planet with a purple sky and 
pink you know trees and stuff and then the first thing that they hit you with in the actual shipping video game is this flower is worth 10 bucks <laughs> and it's like oh my god you're basically like you're you're self-sabotaging so critically with that even for players who really want to engage with that players who that the, the only thing they want to do is just min max and make that number go up they will discover that in time but you're not even give, letting people you're not even giving people who don't who aren't playing the game for that reason alone room to breathe and in Enjoy the sort of intrinsic, intrinsically satisfying things. So I think that's a huge, like that is that is sort of like one of the highest level design failures I can think of. I mean, the Pokemon um, Snap mode that makes it so it's free to travel from planet to planet. The only thing that you get money for is taking photographs mm-hmm. of yeah. stuff. Uh, the only thing you're allowed to leave is footprints. <laughs> Maybe you get a Steam achievement yeah. for leaving a lot of footprints, which you already do. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. If you want a sort of a dissatisfying tourism mode, you could try uh, just when you install the game, don't engage with your ship at all and uh, just keep restarting the game over and over again and you will restart on a different planet every time. (laughs) (laughs) Right, if you just want to see, yeah. I mean, I think the, the... The, the thing that I like the, the tourism mod that I imagine for this game though is like does involve getting in and out of the ship sure. because that's also like that's a really core um, and I think that's why that's to me one of the big reasons why the ship navigation control is like very frustrating because you're not being like when you're on the ground you're actually being given like you're you're a first person video game avatar with a, with a jetpack and so like all the movement stuff you can do actually feels pretty good you're like I'm at the base of a tall cliff and I'm going to like try to see if I can pick my way up there that's cool hey there's a mountain in the distance I'm going to climb it and see what I can see from there that's awesome whereas with the ship it's like I can be floating above this planet at kind of a generic like not very exciting, like flying over the landscape kind of distance where none of the features, none of the terrain features are really like especially meaningful to me because I can never crash into them. I can't, there's no a mountain, whether I'm flying over a mountain or a lake or a, you know, a valley, a, a, a grassland doesn't really make much difference to me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's what I mean when I say the homogeneity of it, you know, is like, there's all these things that like they did a whole bunch of work to make it so that like, yeah, you can have caves and you can have, you know, some fl- also just like the, the so I'm really curious as to just what kind of diversity people saw, other people saw on the planet terrain and stuff. Because I mostly just saw, I felt like I was almost always looking at Perlin noise yeah, as, oh, at yeah. a Perlin noise height map. You know, whereas like every, like so many procedural world generation things like do a whole bunch of work to not have that so that you can have flat, long stretches of flat desert, like gently rolling hills like kind of like Marin Minecraft, County sort Minecraft of like world generation is mountain-y things good. and then like it, really yeah. really craggy stuff you know yeah. like Perlin yeah, Minecraft's ge- world gen is great and and they added biomes and the biomes really matter because they actually affect the type of terrain that as well as the vegetation something we talked about last episode actually was just the the fact that there are no biomes on these planets. Yeah, that yeah. is so dissatisfying. Yeah, that really ki- – yeah, because b- before this game came out, I was playing a fair amount of Starbound, you know, which which went 1.0. And that's a 2D game, so I don't I definitely don't want to, you know, dismiss the complexity of doing in 3D what Starbound did in 2D. But um, I think between the last time that I had played it in beta and 1.0, they made it so that planets could have multiple biomes. And I was astonished at, like, how much value that gave them for their procedural generation because you're running around. Instead of have, instead of getting bored with a planet relatively quickly and wanting to go to a new planet, you could just kind of wander for a while on the same planet, which meant that you both appreciated the biome that you landed in and also 
really appreciated the new biome that you came upon because you're like, I'm starting to see mushrooms. Am I coming into a mushroom spot, you know? Yeah. And you knew that if you tunneled underground, you would see different stuff as well. You know, it's just like, I don't know, Star, Starbound, I feel like, I mean, they, they had a long time in development and they sort of like had the sort of gentle ramp of the early access model. Um, but I feel like they did a really good job, like taking the scope that they had and then establishing a very pleasing kind of distribution within that. And then they had this very, you know, very game mechanics-y kind of tiering of like this, these, this star system is full of easy planets and you just, and you probably won't be able to go anywhere else until you get cool enough gear. It's like, so it's very similar in a lot of ways, but was, um, I don't know. Yeah. Terraria from the people who made Starbound yes, was, yeah. was really... It was not nearly as compelling in terms of like just moving around the world and having fun and looking at stuff as Minecraft was, but the way that they gated progression through it without ever really telling you to do anything. I mean, the way that they gated progression was you'd look at the wiki. I'm like, what's the next <laughs> set of gear I should get to be able to beat the boss for the next thing? But it was obviously a deliberate progression that they had set up, and it was really, really satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Like, it... It, it made it gave that game legs that it would not have had if it were just a sandbox. It gave yeah. it le- it gave it a different kind of legs than Minecraft had. Like, it, I would never have continued to play. I would never have put as many hours into Minecraft as I did if it had been a single player game, right? Like oh, we sure. were playing yeah. on a multiplayer server, yeah. like impressing each other with the stuff that we could build, given the game world's rules, right? It wasn't like creative world Lego stuff. It was like, if I made a palace out of diamond, it was because I found all these fucking diamonds. Mm -hmm. And so this was impressive, you know? And Terraria had no interest in building anything, right? Except for the, like, if I build this, then a merchant will move into it. Like, but what is the minimum house I can build to -hmm. get a merchant to move in here? Let's check the wiki. Starbound was very underdeveloped last time I looked at it, but it's I've heard good yeah, things. Yeah, one point about- no, I mean yeah, yeah, like they, they progress. I, I I didn't I didn't play much Terraria, but yeah, like and yeah, like the, the building really is more of like a multiplayer creativity type thing. You know, like you log into each other's server, you log into each other's game, and you're like, check out my home planet. I've built this massive like base and I've decorated it like a medieval castle and I've got lava waterfalls in a freaking throne room. And there's like thousands probably of little pieces of furniture and decoration that I can deck it out with because an artist does a 16 by 16 pixel texture and that's a new type of wall to have, Right. <laughs> you know? And so I don't know, like they, they got just like tremendous value for their content labor uh, and doing that in 3d. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that was a significant, that that was a huge challenge for the no man's sky devs is just like, you know, being like, okay, where's the bang for buck in like a 3d creature part like do we you know i mean and some difficult technical decisions there too like do we model limbs do we model like body archetypes and then like kind of mutate those procedurally or whatever you know everything's just so much harder you know so no man's sky gets so the thing about terraria and starbound is that there are like dev blog posts that i have read that have made it that have made it absolutely clear to me that these games are being made by a couple of people and if they just suddenly decide that they're not interested in it for 6 months then there's not going to be any patches for 6 months and that happens sometimes <laughs> yeah. with those games like these are things that are works of art that are made by humans no man's sky through no fault of the humans for whom this is their work of art has become not that well except for the fact that they sold themselves as as that hmm. I don't know that I believe that they did that on purpose I like okay 
if the New Yorker showed up and started talking about how, the, like, oh, check out the massive promise of West of Loathing. Can we interview you guys and write a New Yorker article about it? <laughs> we would not say, no, we don't want to set expectations all fucked up about what our video game is going to be because we're a really small team. We would say, yes. <laughs> and then they would write something that would yep. totally fuck up everybody's expectations. Yeah, and particularly they, if they're the, looking to kind of build this interesting little legend out of you. I mean, that's something they that... They made the trailers. They made the talks at, like, the Sony Expos and stuff like that. Like, they they were the ones that pitched it and sold it as as the thing that... Like raise people's hopes to a point that. Well, I think I, I mean I think I think devs and press and players are all complicit in different parts of that whole okay. process That's of the fair. hype cycle. You know, I think like devs want their thing to be really cool, but they're also kind of terrified. You know, and they don't know you know how to, and then press kind of do sometimes want to like make turn people into heroes into like these you know. Sure. lofty well, figures a sexy story but, because but they also kind of want to like story. break the story about what what's really happening in reality and then players want everything to be cool but they also want it to be real and attainable and you know also they want all kinds of unreasonable things but um you know like so i i, I nobody there is nobody in that cycle is completely blameless and nobody is completely you know and and i am very reluctant to blame the devs i mean the you, you don't have to talk about Space Base, and if you don't want to talk about it at all, I'm happy to just edit out me even mentioning it. No, but, like, no. you have definitely been on an end of people being really pissed off about what yep. they felt was an over-promised and under-delivered video game. And my, my reaction to having seen that is to not blame the devs at all. And that is probably just because I can sympathize with the devs more than <laughs> I can sympathize with the press because I've been where the devs are and I haven't been where the press is. I, no man's sky. If, if I had just randomly bought like a $20 early access space game because Steam recommended it to me because I like other games with procedurally generated content mm-hmm. and it had been this, I would have thought, well, this is pretty unremarkable right. and I wouldn't have said anything to anyone about it. And I think that a lot of the, I mean, I think it's very obvious that a lot of the disappointment is just based on expectations slash entitlement also it's i think even though i regularly decry a world in which video games are incredibly undervalued i think that 60 dollars is probably too much money for this game i'm glad that people were willing to pay that amount and so now they have a lot of money to make this game better yeah but it is that's actually something i think is worth digging in on like this is a people have talked about the enormous difference between the game that's on the disc and the game after the day one patch. Um, and this is a much larger, in terms of gameplay changes, patch than most games get because the team is so small. Um, hmm. And I, I think they're going to be making massive, massive improvements. Yeah, the if, they made, if they made the, that level of... Ch- so what, what was different before the patch? I actually don't know. I just I, 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 I played it on Steam, obviously. Yeah, so I, 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 I don't no know idea. the details. I just know that they revamped it considerably. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, the the one detail I know is that um, God, that's terrifying. You're what? Just that they that that they that the day one patch revamped the game considerably. And yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, like the the one detail that I do remember is that it used to be that uh, things would only stack half as much in your inventory. Yeah. What do you mean yeah. that they would only stack half as much? Like stacks like, were limited in size to less than. Oh, for for like elements. Yeah. So like you could only kill, like one full stack of iron was, was actually like was half as much yeah. as. Less than half. Oh, it, boy. Is, it is super aggravating that the stacks in your in your suit and the stacks in the ship are different sizes. Is it? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Two two fifty in the suit, five hundred in the ship. It, no, I mean, is it? Why is it aggravating? Because a, if you try to pull a single stack from your ship, it now takes two slots oh, in your yeah. suit, and it is really hard to plan around right. moving so things around. What the fuck determines whether your ship is out of range when you're trying to <laughs> teleport things? Because I've had it work from halfway across the fucking planet and fail to work when I was standing on top of the ship. It's it's definitely different depending on whether you're sending to or from. Ugh. <laughs> yes, which is an additional wrinkle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I feel like an asshole for saying that. I feel like this is not a sixty dollars game, and I don't know why. I, it is. Is it so? Like my expectations are a game with say a four hundred million dollar budget is a sixty dollars game, but a game that is made by a team of ten people is not a sixty dollars game. That's real shitty. Like I think that that's just a that's just some multipliers on an attitude that I hate about phone games. I think, like, the reason you feel like an asshole is just that 99% of the time, whenever someone says a game isn't worth that much, they are being an asshole. I see. <laughs> um, I'm, and, but I well, also but that means I probably like, am being an asshole by saying that. Well, maybe, but also... Right, like if, like, I charged, if I charged $500 for Endless Ladder Climbing 2 for each copy, you know, people would come at me with that criticism, and I'd be like, you know what, you're right. Like that, so I'm yeah. No, so, so I feel like they're they're so happy that Steven Sausage Roll costs thirty dollars. Yep, really yeah. happy. Yeah, totally. Really, yeah. really happy. No, I mean, I, I about that. Like, and yeah, I like that. Is I feel ton, like I feel like multiple years of authored content, and this is multiple <laughs> years of tweaking algorithms. Well, and adding like y- you saying like, that you don't feel like it's a sixty dollars game is basically just almost another way of restating all those other like more design and creative focused critiques that you've that you've that you've laid out just in a different sort of sense. And I think like the the where where you when you see like people being like toxic on the internet or something, it's like the only thing that they appear to care about is like that value for money, here's how much pudding I get at Costco sort of thing, you know, where it's just like you know, I, like it, I, it's, it's that quantity-based thing. So I mean, it's okay to come around to that and be like, you know what? In retrospect, I would not have paid this much money for this video game. Uh, it's just not like the sum total of your just... thesis. So I think that's what makes you not an asshole, yeah. or not well, as much thanks, of guys. one. This is you know? really... <laughs> Another way to think about it is just like, how many dollars would you give this game out of sixty? <laughs> I, I see. I don't feel bad about spending sixty dollars on Watch Dogs, even though I played Watch Dogs for like an hour, thought it sucked was not interested in talking to anyone about it Hmm. and just walked away. But I was like, yeah, that's a thing that costs $60. Like, you know, it's like going to see a movie at a movie theater versus going to watch somebody's home video at a screening in their garage. Like, Hmm. if you said, hey, it'll be $5 to come to my cool indie screening in my garage, I'd be like, okay, they're like, it'll be $9 if you want a large popcorn at the indie screening in my garage. I'd be like, no thanks. Like, I don't know. I guess I just didn't, I don't think popcorn. about things in those terms. Like, yeah, I mean, that's why I, I don't like know. Yeah. 
It's. I like spending money on things. I just don't. You could just consider that it was probably like handcrafted hipster popcorn. That's probably true. And they should probably be charging more for it. Each yeah. kernel was individually <laughs> popped in someone's mouth. And then popped again Hot when mouth. you eat it. Procedurally. <laughs> yeah. So the carbon thing where you give carbon to the uh, aliens when you talk to them. My theory is that they, 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 they usually spawn next to potted plants that you can harvest for carbon. Yeah. And so my theory is that in their, their custom is that to start a conversation with somebody... <laughs> you have you, to pick some flowers. Pluck a leaf. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, it was like, I'll just breathe through this filter on my space suit that turns my exhalations into just the carbon. Right. Do you ever see yourself... What, what race are you in the game? I... You're the dark race. I bet race. that's a plot <laughs> twist. You're a dark race. I bet assuming... that's what you, like, what you find at the center of the galaxy is a mirror. Is a mirror. <laughs> yeah, it's the only mirror in the galaxy. And you see that you're just like a completely generic person. Yeah. Just, you know, maybe was, randomly generated. That was the other sort of narrative thing that was just getting kind of ridiculous was the explanation for why there were no mirrors in Deus Ex. Like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, we're sorry that, you know, you're in your own home and on your computer is your correspondence with the building superintendent about replacing your mirror and, like, oh, and my gosh. Stuff. And I'm like, seriously? Like, wow. That is. That that is some that is some lamp shading right there. Yeah. Jeez. Just yeah. I wonder how, what percentage of people read those Any of emails. These emails? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. In I Tron it, 2.0 it was really rewarded. Was it? Yeah, you get a lot of cool story beats by I, by reading yeah, the random I, emails I think it and might data depend and stuff. on how old you are because when I played Deus Ex 1 I read everything. And It's like, why? uh, Sorry, we couldn't find higher res masks for these UNATCO soldiers. Uh, (laughs) These were way cheaper than the masks. I had no idea those were keyboards. Yeah, I mean, the more books you've read, the less lore in video games you tend to read. (laughs) You know, no, that's that's maybe that's maybe snooty, but. no, I mean, it's it also depends. like... I mean, reading the terminals in Fallout is way more interesting than reading the books in Skyrim, yes. I think. Like, the the first... I mean, every game teaches you within its first hour or so how worthwhile the sort of, like, ambient world embedded narrative is going to be. And in some cases, it's, it's just, like, dime a dozen crap. You know, that's just... We needed a tome for this. It should have the kind of things that a tome in a fantasy kingdom has. So we, need, just, we need something for the writers who we are paying a salary to do when yeah, we're so let's done just, having things for let's them just to write. by the foot so, this shit. You know, whereas yeah. like, you know, like... Oh, speaking of which, Riff, I'm going to need you to write a shitload of tomes. <laughs> here's the, oh, yeah, tomes. The, a lot of the Skyrim tomes were, were ripped off in a single weekend. By one person. <laughs> huh. Wow. Yeah. Like so, a weekend each, or no, just a single weekend. Huh. Like that's like I have heard. I have heard a story that like the vast majority of the writing in there was like forty-eight hours. Jeez. Yeah. Well, and and I'm sure that there's also tomes that are like quest or progression critical that that, were much that they spend a lot more sure. time on. And when you have a world that's just full of that stuff, yep. you're kind of devaluing your best content by the presence of your worst. You know. So I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, that with procedural games, you were really rolling the dice with, in that regard because, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest role of the of the procedural planet generation. To be clear, the problem that I had with that alien was not that oh, no, you had to loop. spend carbon. It. it was the loop. It was that he would give you more carbon than it 
cost to talk to him. Right. Which is which is just, just, just like, broken. So okay, Fuck. so here's like a different example too of me interacting with that. I I interacted with an alien. He offered to teach me a, every time that I interacted with an alien, the first time they would offer to teach me a word. And is one of the three options that they gave me. Uh, and so I would do that. And then the second time I interacted with them, it was the, the useless set of three. So I was like, oh, I only get to learn one word per alien. Yeah, that, so was, I just that was my experience stopped. as well. Yeah. I never, okay. I never kept doing All of us, yeah, every single one of us had that exact experience. Except that you said that No, you, it cycles through and you can keep learning words forever as long as you're willing to keep okay. clicking. Like, yeah. yeah how that many, was, that how was, many words did you get? I gave up after like 12 okay. because it was so fucking boring. Yeah. I, like, and I was like, well, if I just actually go harvest more materials to make more warp cells to just keep flying to these Atlas interfaces, those are full of those like little bulbs on the floor that every single one of them teaches you a word. Well, no, like Not one out of, of every yeah, four of, of them teaches you a word yeah. for what, some fucking reason. What do the other three do? Nothing. Yeah. Just nothing happens when you... What what are the bulbs on the f- these are not the, those are not the round they're like little round domes that are just there are when you go into an atlas interface oh, there I've are probably fifty of them oh, on okay. the ground and by running around and touching all of them you will learn like ten words in some random language it's always the same language in a given interface but it's like either this one is like full of things that will teach you gex words or this one is full of things that will teach you Krovax words Corvax <laughs> yeah and then you get a progression coupon and you move on to the next yeah yeah sometimes you get some fuel from yeah. some little nodes uh, in there you always get a paragraph of weird lofty space lore the game seemed to imply that you were making a fundamental choice about whether you head towards the atlas or something else the galactic core i think is the other choice and i have no idea what the difference is though and you have to pick one or the other you can't do both well, I was offered that choice several times, and yeah. the first time I got that choice, I got the choice between explore freely, look for Atlas, or go to the Galactic Core. I thought I was committing once and for yeah. all. I was like, "Oh, geez, this is like Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis time. I, I, you know, I better, I better really decide what I want." Uh, but then, it's sure just, enough, I ran into another like I ran into one of the little outposts where the the two the two cool dudes are chilling out and. They were like, yeah, what do you want? I could give you – do you want to explore freely? If so, I can give you like a suit upgrade recipe and whatever. So huh. I don't know. Yeah. Like uh, – so okay. yeah. Like and I, I think they wanted your progress along each of – towards each of those three goals to not be mutually exclusive. So you can be like, okay, you've got like 10 Atlas Stones now. Also, you're like halfway to the galactic core, and you can ex- exploring freely is just sort of the absence of those goals. So, like, so I don't, th- I don't think that's a bad design. Actually, I think like just, I mean, at presenting the the choice at any point as final is you shouldn't do. But like letting players saying that there are you know that there are two explicit goals and then one just sort of like open ended intrinsic goal is like fine. Also, um, why would anyone want to head towards a supermassive black hole? Because that's what's well, at the core of every because they were galaxy, in interviews, right? The developers said there was something cool there. <laughs> uh huh. So Whoever gets there first gets a free now? copy of Supermassive Black Hole, the Muse album. <laughs> I, so my the actual reason that I'm heading towards the center of the, galac- of the galaxy is that um, as players get closer to the core, 
I'm more likely to run into a system where someone else has named things and I could go look at all oh, the man, names. go to Fart I, Planet. Yeah, theoretically. Fart Planet 4000. I didn't yeah. name anything. No, well, me I've neither. I've named me everything. <laughs> I've named everything like after like office supplies. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> really so. There's th- so much stuff that you could possibly name that, that I just gave up yeah. instantly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so it, it's what... There, there are two things that I've discovered that made naming things a little bit better. And one is that um, if you click the right stick on the PS4, it allows you to use motion controls to aim a cursor at the keyboard instead of you have to painfully selecting each letter mm, from a with the, with the joystick. Keyboard. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is that I just like type in a couple of letters at random and then hit autocomplete. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a man. procedural generation of your own sort. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Just the fact that you can name, like I'm going to name this, this type of rock and it's like paperclip. Yeah. Like that's sort of the setting prices on hamburgers in Zoo Tycoon that, yeah. you know, we decided was not a consequential decision. Well, except in Zoo um, Tycoon, you're not uploading the prices to a server where other <laughs> players will see hypothetically. Yeah. If yeah. they roll the one in quint- 19 quintillion die, they then they'll be like, hey, on your planet. This rock is called Zombie Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> zombie I kept Nuts for 20. To cool. Screenshot every time I learned one of the alien race's words for hi. Yeah. <laughs> so that I could post it to Twitter. But the screenshot button always is just a black. No. It just always takes a black screenshot because of some weird choice they made about the render surface. That's unfortunate. Uh, for some reason, you can't alt tab out of the game on a PC. Like, if you do, you can never go back to it. There's some that trick. Was not my experience. There's some trick for getting that's to problem. work on Somebody Windows. should program a computer to fix that. Yeah, that like somebody should have already programmed a computer to fix that. I would. <laughs> yeah. Argue that's the you can tell it to run in like a borderless window and it's fine. Apparently, like there's there's all these articles about here's how to fix all of this bullshit about running this game on Steam, which is fine. I've also never named it. the The randomly generated names are so boring. Yeah, they're pretty. They're just kind of like. They're 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 all. It's just like a phoneme soup where it's basically like here's yeah. little atomic bits of words. Yeah, and, and it's like let's together. do three of them and then a hyphen and then two of them. Yeah, like every single time. Whereas I feel like uh, I don't know, like it's it's similar to the biome thing, honestly. Like you pick different families of like even if honestly like. I thought for sure that there would be like different alien alphabets in the game because that's such an easy way to like distinguish things meaningfully. You're like this one race has like kind of triangular writing with dots. This other race has like a, a it's a bunch of weird circles. This other race like it's like blocks of color. Who who knows? Who care? You know, like any of those are fine. Uh, so like I don't know. And and then you like you get to planets and it's like. You know, hey, cool. This this planet must have been this planet's original name is by a glyph. You know, is just a bunch of glyphs right. or something, and that's fine. I can override it. Whatever. I don't know. Um, fart planet. Yeah, it's fart planet in the language of the <laughs> Daft Punks. Oh man, if if you just randomly generated a new alien language for every planet, but every planet was called fart planet <laughs> in that language, that is a kind of proc gen that I can really get behind. Yeah. Well, that's that's. Yeah, that's some that's some embedded lore. Yeah, who is who named all of these originally? Lord Fart Planet. Atlas is all about farts. <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, boy. Did we decide what our next assignment is? Yes. Oh yeah, Duskers. Yep. We're gonna play Duskers. Oh, cool. Yeah. You ready? I think yeah. you have to play it on a PC. Uh, I'll be all right. Maybe you can play it on a PS3 with a. Maybe you can play it on a PS1 with a. Q 
keyboard that you bought to play Fantasy Star Online. I think that was an Xbox game. Back, I think I still have like a an old Unity build of that from back when I was almost going to work on Duskers before I kickstarted Frog Fractions 2 instead. Huh. I didn't know you were almost going to work on Duskers. Is that because you met that guy on a plane? A bit, yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, boy, uh, I forgot to mention who this episode was brought to you by our generous Patreon backers, such as Tom Petty. Phelps. <laughs> uh, C- Crab Calloway. Wondrous Knickerbocker. Staple Remover. <laughs> what, what's Staple Remover's last name? That remover is... <laughs> oh, okay. You know, back in the Middle Ages, people's last names tended to be their occupation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So they just removed things and they named him Staple. <laughs> Uh, thanks, generous Patreon backers. Uh, it's always uh, it's always really great to, to talk to you. Um, uh, thanks, JP, for for joining us. Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. Was, Thank you for, was, thanks for good, having uh, me. Chatting with you about this video game, I knew that you would have some insightful things to say, and you uh, you did not disappoint. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're you're just as little of a slouch at talking about No Man's Sky as you are at playing Doom death matches. <laughs> Whoa! As it turns out. Uh, I've had a fantastic time recording this episode, and I hope that uh, we'll do it again real soon. And listeners, I hope you'll join us. And until you do, staple remover. (laughs) Keep on trucking. Have a great week, everybody. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Good night.